content. If you wait till the end of the show, then there'll be bonus content. I just thought I'd let you know there's gonna be bonus content. If you wait around till the end, then there'll be bonus content. You know I consider you all my personal friends, that's why I'm telling you about the bonus content. Bonus content. Um, hello ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Daniel Kay, the host of the Daniel Kay's Let's Plays Podcast Project. The world's first but second favourite audio-only video game Let's Play podcast. So what are we going to be playing today? Well, today we're going to be playing with a 20-cent coin. I've got it here. It's, uh, it's Australian 20-cent coin. It's got a platypus on the tail side. It's got a, a, a bust of Queen Elizabeth II on the head side. This coin is from the year 2004. What a year. Half-Life 2 came out that year. You remember that? Yeah, oh boy. All right, so we're just going to be uh, going to be playing uh, with this coin. I'm going to do a, just a standard coin flip. I'm going to say, I'm going to hope it lands on heads. Because I, th- I think the Queen's face in this coin is more interesting than this platypus. Well, I mean, you know, platypuses are very nice, but I don't know... It's a little bit simplistic, this this rendering of the platypus. I don't know if I love it. It's kind of as, as glanced through a shimmering water. So, yeah, I'm hoping this coin lands on heads. Here we go. Heads! Hooray! Okay, well, it's time for the bonus content. Listeners, uh, and what's the bonus content today? Well, I thought I'd release the final chapter in the Moomin uh, Land Midwinter uh, b- uh, book. You know, that was always the bonus content in the Pokemon series. I was reading chapter by chapter Tovey Answers Moomin Land Midwinter from 1960. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, so I'm just going to release the last chapter of that. Um... But hey, just for context, I'm gonna uh, compile all the other chapters which I've read into one long, one long series of chapters and play them all now. And then at the end, that's when the, you'll find the last chapter. So if you just want to hear the last chapter, skip to one hour forty-eight and fifty seconds, and you'll hear it there at the end of all the other chapters. If anybody from the Toviants and the State is listening, or from Puffin Books or whatever, or, or whoever owns the rights to publish the audiobooks, Hugh Laurie maybe then it's okay. This is just like, uh, this is just like bonus, you know, bonus content chapters. I'm just doing it a chapter at a time. It's not like I'm releasing a whole audio book or anything. I'm really sorry. I love Tovianson. Like, she's the fucking best. Um, yeah, and so it's just, you know, it's just bonus stuff. It's not a real audio book. Alright everyone, here's all the chapters in order, one after another, followed by the final chapter. Here we go! Chapter 1. The snowed up drawing room. <clears throat> the sky was almost black, but the snow shone a bright blue in the moonlight. The sea lay asleep under the ice, and deep down amongst the roots of the earth all the small beasts were sleeping and dreaming of spring. But spring was quite a bit away, because the year had only just gotten a little past New Year. At the point where the valley began, its soft slope towards the mountains stood a snowed-up house. It looked rather lonely and rather like a crazy drift of snow. Quite near it ran a bend of the river, coal black between its ice edges. The current kept the stream open all winter, but there were no tracks leading over the bridge and no one had touched the snowdrifts around the house. 
Inside, the house was warm and cosy. Heaps of peat were quietly smouldering in the central heating stove down in the cellar. The moon looked in sometimes at the drawing room window, lighting on the white winter covers of the chairs and on the cut glass chandelier in its white gauze bag. And in the drawing room also, grouped around the biggest porcelain stove of the house, the Moomin family lay sleeping their long winter sleep. They always slept from November to April, because such was the custom of their forefathers, and Moomins stick to tradition, you see. Everybody had a good meal of pine needles in their stomachs, just as their ancestors used to have, and besides their beds, they had hopefully laid out everything likely to be needed in early spring. Spades, burning glasses and films, wind gauges and the like. The silence was deep and expectant. Every now and again, somebody sighed and curled deep down under their quilt. The streak of moonlight wandered from rocking chair to drawing room table, crawled over the brass knobs of the bed end, and shone straight into Moomin Troll's face. And now something happened that had never happened before, not since the very first Moomin took to his hibernating den. Moomin Troll awoke, and found that he couldn't go back to sleep again. He looked at the moonlight, and the ice ferns on the window, and he listened to the humming of the stove in the cellar, and he felt more and more awake and astonished. And finally he rose, and he padded over to Moomin Mama's bed. He pulled at her ear very cautiously, but she didn't awake. She just curled into an uninterested ball. Oh, if not even Mother wakes up, it's no use trying the others, Moomin Troll thought. And he went along by himself, on a round, through the unfamiliar and mysterious house. All the clocks had stopped ages ago, and a fine coat of dust covered everything. On the drawing room table still stood the soup tureen with pine needles left over from November, and inside its gauze dress the cut glass chandelier was softly jingling to itself. All at once Moomintroll felt frightened, and he stopped short in the warm darkness beside the streak of moonlight. He was so terribly lonely. Oh, there's a nice picture. Mother, wake up, Moomintroll shouted. All the world's got lost, and he went back and he pulled at her quilt. But Moomin Mama didn't wake up. For a moment her dreams of summer became uneasy and troubled, but she wasn't able to open her eyes. Moomintroll curled up on her bed mat, and the long winter night went on. At dawn the snowdrift on the roof began to move. It went slithering down a bit, and then it resolutely coasted over the edge and sat down with a soft thwomp, and now all the windows were buried, and only a weak grey light found its way inside. The drawing room looked even more unreal than ever, as if it were deep under the earth. Moomin Troll pricked up his ears and he listened for a long time, and then he lit the night light and he padded along to the chest of drawers to read Snufkin's spring letter. It lay, as usual, under the little Meerschaum tram, and it was very much like the other spring letters that Snufkin had left behind when he went off to the south each year in October. It began with the words Cheerio in his big round hand, and the letter itself was very short. Cheerio, sleep well and keep your spirits up. First warm spring day you'll have me here again. Don't start the dam building without me. Snufkin. Moomintroll read the letter several times, and he suddenly felt very hungry. He went out into the kitchen. It too was miles and miles under the earth, as it were, and it looked dismally tidy and empty. The larder was just as desolate. He found nothing there except a bottle of loganberry syrup that had fermented and half a packet of dusty biscuits. 
Moomin Troll made himself comfortable under the kitchen table and he began to chew, and he read Snufkin's letter once more. After that, he stretched out on his back and he looked at the square wooden clumps under the table corners, and the kitchen was very silent. Cheerio, whispered Moomin Troll. Sleep well, keep your spirits up. First warm spring day, he said slightly louder, and then he sang at the top of his voice. You'll have me here again. Oh, you'll have me here. And spring's in the air. It's warm and fair. We'll be there. And there we are. And here and then the year. And then he stopped short. When he caught sight of two small eyes that gleamed out at him from underneath the sink. He stared back and the kitchen was silent as before. And then the eyes disappeared. No, wait, Moomintrol shouted anxiously. He crept towards the sink. "'softly calling all the while. "'No, come out, won't you? Don't be afraid. I'm good. You come back.' "'But whoever it was that lived under the sink didn't come back. "'Moomintroll laid out a string of biscuit crumbs on the floor, "'and he poured out a little puddle of loganberry syrup. "'When he came back to the drawing room, "'the crystals in the ceiling greeted him with a melancholy tinkle. "'I'm off,' Moomintroll said sternly to the chandelier. "'I'm tired of you all.' I'm tired of you all, and I'm going south to meet Snufkin. And then he went to the front door, and he tried to open it, but it had frozen fast. He ran whining from window to window, and he tried them all, but they all stuck hard. And so the lonely Moomin Troll rushed up to the attic, and he managed to lift the chimney sweep's hatch, and he clambered out onto the roof. A wave of cold air received him there, and he lost his breath, slipped and rolled over the edge. And so... Moomintrol was helplessly thrown out in a strange and dangerous world and dropped up to his ears in the first snowdrift of his experience. It felt unpleasantly prickly to his velvet skin, but at the same time his snout caught a new smell. It was a more serious smell than he had ever smelt before, and slightly frightening, but it made him wide awake and greatly interested. The valley was enveloped in a kind of grey twilight. It also wasn't green any longer, it was white. Everything that had once moved had become immobile, and there was no living sounds. Everything angular was now rounded. Ah, this is snow, Moomintrol whispered to himself. I've heard about it from Mother, and it is called snow. Without Moomintrol knowing a thing about it, at that moment his velvet skin decided to start growing woollier. It decided to become, by and by, a coat of fur for winter use. And that would take some time, but at least the decision was made, and that is always a good thing. Meanwhile, Moomintrol was laboriously plodding along through the snow. He went down to the river. It was the same river that used to scuttle, transparent and jolly, through Moomintrol's summer garden, and now it looked quite unlike itself. It was black and listless. It also belonged to this new world in which he didn't feel at home at all. For safety's sake, he looked at the bridge. He looked at the mailbox and they tallied with memory. He raised the lid a little, but there was no mail, except a withered leaf without a word written on it. He was already becoming used to the winter smell, it didn't make him feel curious anymore. He looked at the jasmine bush that was an untidy tangle of bare sprigs, and he thought, oh, it's dead. All the world has died while I slept, and the world belongs to somebody else whom I don't know now, perhaps to the groke. It isn't made for moomins anymore. He hesitated for a moment, and then he decided that he would feel still worse if he were the only one awake amongst all these sleepers. And that was why Moomintrol made the first tracks in the snow over the bridge and up the slope. They were very, very small tracks, but they were resolute, and they pointed straight in amongst the trees southwards. 
Chapter 2, The Bewitched Bathing House <clears throat> Down by the sea, further to the west, a young squirrel was skipping aimlessly about in the snow. He was quite a foolish little squirrel who liked to think of himself as the squirrel with the marvellous tail. As a matter of fact, he never thought at all about anything for very long. Mostly he just had a feeling about things. His latest feeling was that his mattress in the nest was getting knobbly, and so he had gone out to look for a new one. Now and again he mumbled, a mattress, to himself, to keep himself from forgetting what it was he was looking for. You see, he forgot things very easily. The squirrel went skipping this way and that, in amongst the trees and out onto the ice. He stuck his nose in the snow and he pondered. Looking up at the sky, he shook his head and he skipped along again. He came to the cave on the hill and skipped inside, but when he had got there he wasn't able to concentrate any longer, and so he forgot all about his mattress. Instead he sat down on his tail and began to think that people could just as well start calling him the squirrel with the marvellous whiskers. Behind the great snowdrift at the opening of the cave, somebody had spread out straw on the floor and in the straw stood a large cardboard box with the lid partly raised. That's strange, said the squirrel aloud, with some surprise. That cardboard box wasn't there before, must be something wrong about it, or else this is the wrong cave. Maybe I'm the wrong squirrel, but I wouldn't like to believe that. And he poked up a corner of the lid, and he put his head inside the box. It was warm, and it seemed to be filled with something soft and nice. Suddenly the squirrel remembered the mattress. His small sharp teeth cut into the soft stuffing and pulled out a flock of wool. He pulled out one flock after the other and soon he had his arms full of wool and he was working hard with all four paws. He felt extremely pleased with himself. And then all at once something was trying to bite the squirrel in the leg. Like a streak of lightning he whizzed out of the box and then hesitated for a moment and decided to feel more curious than scared. Presently an angry head with tousled hair appeared in the hole he had bitten in the wool. Are you all there, you? said Little Mai. I'm not sure, said the squirrel. Now you've waked me, Little Mai continued severely, and eaten half my sleeping bag. What's the great idea? But the squirrel was so beside himself that he'd forgotten all about his mattress again. Little Mai gave a snort and climbed out of the cardboard box. She closed the lid on her sister, who was still asleep, and went over and felt the snow with her paw. Ah, so this is what it's like, she said. Funny ideas people get. She squeezed a snowball and hit the squirrel on the head with her first throw, and then Little Mai stepped out of the cave to take possession of the winter. The first thing that she accomplished was to slip on the icy cliff and fall down very hard. I see, Little Mai said in a threatening voice. They think they'll get away with anything, don't they? And then she happened to think what a Mai looks like with her legs in the air, and then she chuckled to herself quite a while. She inspected the cliff and the hillside and thought for a bit, and then she said, Well now, and she did a jumpy switchback slide far out onto the smooth ice. She repeated this six times more and noticed that it made her tummy very cold. Little Mai went back into the cave and turned her sleeping sister out of the cardboard box. Mai had never seen a toboggan, but she had a definite feeling that there were many sensible ways of using a cardboard box in the winter. As to the squirrel, he was sitting in the wood and looking distractedly from one tree to another. Not for the tale of him could he remember in which one he lived, or what he had gone out to look for. <clears throat> we return to Moomintroll listeners. I should say, uh, this is not in the book, this is the, the uh, this is me, Daniel K, talking to you, not reading off a page. There are, uh, there are two girl characters introduced in this chapter. There's Little Mai, and then there's another one who we'll meet later on. So don't get confused and think they're the same person when we when we run into them again. It's a new person, that's all. We'll go back to the book. 
<clears throat> Moomin Troll hadn't come very far south when darkness was already creeping under all the trees. At every step his paws sank deep into the snow, and the snow was not in the least as exciting as it had been. The silence and the stillness of the wood were complete. Only now and then a large sheaf of snow came thumping down from a tree. The branch from which it had fallen rocked a while, and then all was lifeless again. Oh, the world's asleep, Moomintroll thought. It's only I who am awake and sleepless. It's only I who have to wander and wander day after day, week upon week, until I too become a snowdrift that no one will ever know about. Just then the wood opened out, and before him stretched another valley. On the other side of it he saw the lonely mountains. They rolled away southwards in wave upon wave, and never had they looked more lonely than this. Only now Moomintroll began to feel the cold. The evening darkness came crawling out of the clefts and climbed slowly up towards the frozen ridges. Up there the snow was gleaming like bared fangs against the black mountains, white and black, and loneliness everywhere. Somewhere on the other side of it all is Snufkin, Moomintroll said to himself. He's sitting somewhere in the sun, peeling an orange. If I only knew that he knew that I'm climbing these mountains for his sake, then I could do it. But all alone, I'll never manage it. And Moomintroll turned around and slowly plodded back in his own tracks. I'll... I'll wind the clocks, he thought. Perhaps that makes the spring come a little bit earlier. And someone might wake up if I happened to break something very big. But he knew in his heart that no one would wake up. And then something happened. A small track went scuttling across Moomintroll's own track. He stopped, and he stood looking at it for a long time. Something alive had padded through the wood, perhaps no more than half an hour ago. It couldn't have gone far. It had gone towards the valley, and must have been smaller than himself. Its paws had hardly sunk into the snow at all. Moomintroll felt all hot inside, from the tip of his tail to the tops of his ears. Wait, he shouted. No, don't leave me alone, he whimpered a little as he went stumbling along again through the snow. And all of a sudden, he felt a great terror of the darkness and the loneliness around him. His fright must have hidden itself somewhere all this time since he had woken in the sleeping house. But this was the first time he dared to feel really afraid. Now he didn't shout anymore because he thought how horrible it would be if somebody answered him. He didn't even dare to lift his snout from the track that was hardly visible in the dark beneath him. He just crawled and stumbled along and whimpered softly to himself. And then he caught sight of the light. It was quite small, and yet it filled all the wood with a mild red glow ahead of him. Moomintroll calmed down. He forgot the track, and he continued slowly on his way, looking towards the light, until at last he saw that it was an ordinary candle thrust steadily upright in the snow. Around it stood a tiny sugar loaf of a house built of round snowballs. They looked transparent and slightly orange-yellow, like the shade of a night lamp at home. On the other side of the lamp, someone had dug herself a cosy hole. Someone who lay looking up at the serene winter sky, whistling very softly to herself. What song is that? asked Moomintroll. It's a song of myself, someone answered from the pit. A song of two Tiki who built a snow lantern, but the refrain is about holy other things. I see, Moomintroll said, and seated himself in the snow. No, you don't, replied two Tiki, genially and she rose up enough to show her red and white sweater. Because the refrain is about things that one can't understand. I'm thinking about the Aurora Borealis. You can't tell if it really does exist, or if it just looks like existing. All things are so very uncertain, and that's exactly what makes me feel so reassured. She lay down in the snow again and continued looking up at the sky. 
it was quite black by now. Moomin Troll also put up his snout and looked at the sparkling northern lights that probably no other Moomin had ever seen before him. They were white and blue, and a little bit green, and they draped the sky in long, fluttering curtains. I think it exists, he said. Tutiki did not reply. She crawled up to the snow lantern and lifted out her candle. We'll take this home, she said, before the groat comes and sits down on it. Moomin Troll nodded gravely. He had seen the groke once, an August night long ago, cold and grey like a lump of ice she'd squatted in the shadows of the lilac bushes and just looked at him. But what a look, and when she slunk away the ground was frosted white where she had sat. For a moment Moomintrol wondered whether winter itself wasn't something that ten thousand grokes had made all by squatting on the ground, but he decided to take up this matter later on when he knew Tutiki a little bit better. While they found their way back, the valley seemed lighter, and Moomin Troll saw that the moon was up. The Moomin house stood by itself asleep on the other side of the bridge, but here Tutiki turned westwards and made a shortcut through the bare fruit orchard. There were a lot of apples here last fall, Moomin Troll remarked sociably. But now there is a lot of snow, replied Tutiki distantly, without stopping. They came down to the shore. The sea was one single vast darkness. They walked cautiously out on the narrow landing stage that led to the Moomin family's bathing house. I used to dive from here, Moomin Troll whispered very softly, and looked at the yellowed and broken reeds that stuck out from the ice. The sea was so warm, and I swam nine strokes under the water. Tutiki opened the door to the bathing house. She went in first and set the candle on the round table that Moomin Papa had found floating in the sea a long time ago. Everything was quite the same as usual in the old octagonal bathing house. The knot holes in the yellowed board walls, the small green and red window panes, the narrow benches and the cupboard that held the bathing gowns and the slightly air-leaky rubber hemulin. Everything was exactly as in summer, but still the room had changed in some mysterious way. Tutiki took off her cap and it climbed straight up the wall and hung itself on a peg. Oh, I'd like to have a cap like that, said Moomintroll. You don't need any, said Tutiki. You can just always wiggle your ears to keep your head warm. But you do have cold paws, and then over the floor two woolen socks came waddling and lay themselves down before Moomintroll. At the same time a fire was kindled in the three-legged iron stove in the far corner, and someone started cautiously to play the flute under the table. He's shy, Tutiki explained. That's why he plays under the table, you see. But why doesn't he even show himself? asked Moomintroll. Why, they're all so shy that they've gone invisible, Tutiki replied. They are eight very small shrews who share this house with me. This is Daddy's bathing house, Moomintroll said. Tutiki gave him a serious look. You may be right, and you may be wrong, she said. In the summer it belongs to Daddy. In the winter it belongs to Tutiki. And a pot started to boil on the stove. The lid was lifted off, and a spoon stirred the soup. Another spoon put in a pinch of salt, and then it was tidily returned to the window still. Outside the cold sharpened towards the night, and the moonlight was reflected in all the green and red panes. Tell me about the snow, Moomintroll said, and seated himself in Moomin Papa's sun-bleached garden chair. I don't understand it. No, I don't either, said Tutiki. You believe it's cold, but if you build yourself a snow house, it's warm inside. You think it's white, but at times it looks pink, and then another time it's blue. 
It can be softer than anything, and then again harder than stone, and nothing is certain. A plate of fish soup came carefully gliding through the air and put itself on the table before Moomintroll. "'Where have your shrews learnt to fly?' he asked. "'Well,' said Tutiki, "'better not ask people about everything. They might like to keep their secrets to themselves.' Don't you worry about the shrews, and nor about the snow. Moomintroll drank his soup. He looked at the cupboard in the corner, and thought of how nice it was to know that his own old bath gown was hanging inside. That something certain and cosy still remained in the middle of all these new and worrying things. He knew that his bath gown was blue, and that its hanger was missing, and there was probably a pair of sunglasses still in the left pocket. After a while he said... That's where we used to keep our bath gowns. Mother's is hanging furthest in from the door. Tutiki reached out her paw and caught a sandwich. Thanks, she said. You must never open that cupboard. You'll have to promise me. I won't promise anything, Moomintroll said surlily, looking down into his soup plate. All of a sudden he found that it was the most important thing in all the world to open the door and see for himself whether the bath gown was still there. The fire was going nicely, it roared in the stovepipe, the bathing house was warm and pleasant, and under the table the flute took up its lonely tune again. Invisible paws carried the empty plates away, the candle burned down, and the wick was drowned in a lake of grease. Now the only light came from the red eye of the stove, and the pattern of red and green moonshine squares on the floor. "'I'm sleeping at home tonight,' Moomintroll said sternly. "'Fine,' replied Tutiki. "'Moon hasn't gone down yet, so you'll find your way back home very easily.' And the door glided open all of itself, and Moomintroll stepped out into the snowy planks. "'Well, never mind,' he said. "'Anyway, the blue bath gown's in the cupboard. Thanks for the soup.' The door glided shut, and all around him was nothing but silence and moonlight. He looked quickly over the ice, and he thought he could see a big, clumsy groak shuffling along somewhere near the horizon. He imagined her wading behind the boulders on the shore, and as he passed through the wood, her shadow was silently creeping behind every tree trunk. The groak who sat down on every light and bleached every colour. Finally, Moomintroll came home to his sleeping house. Slowly, he climbed the enormous snowdrift to the northern side and crawled up to the hatch in the roof. The air inside was warm and Moomin-smelling, and the chandelier jingled in recognition when he padded over the floor. Moomintroll lifted the mattress from his bed, and he laid it on Moomin Mama's bed mat. She sighed a little in her sleep, and mumbled something he couldn't understand, and then she laughed to herself, and she rolled a little nearer to the wall. I don't belong here anymore, Moomintroll thought, and nor over there. I don't even know what's waking and what's a dream anymore. And then in an instant he was asleep, and summer lilacs covered him in their friendly green shadows. Little Mai lay in her frayed sleeping bag, feeling very vexed. A wind had sprung up in the evening and blew straight into the cave. The wet cardboard box had burst in three different places, and most of the stuffing was confusedly blowing about from corner to corner of the cave. Hello, old sister, Little Mai shouted, and she knocked the mimble in the back, but the mimble slipped. She didn't even move. I'm growing angry, said Little Mai, when for once one could have had some use for a sister. She kicked herself free from the sleeping bag, and then she crawled to the opening and looked out in the cold night with some delight. I'll show you all, Little Mai muttered grimly, and she coasted down the slope. The shore was lonelier than the end of the world, if indeed any of you have been there. With low whispers, the snow was sweeping its large fans over the ice. Everything was dark because the moon had set by now. 
Well, here we go, said the little Mai, and she spread her skirts in the evil northern wind, and she started to slide along between the snow spots, swerving left and right, spacing her legs with the secure poise you usually have if you are a Mai. The candle in the bathing house had burned down long ago when little Mai passed. She could only see the pointed roof outlined against the night sky, so she didn't even think for a moment, oh, there's our old bathing house. She sniffed in the sharp and dangerous smells of winter and stopped by the shore to listen. The wolves were howling far, far away in the lonely mountains. Makes the blood curdle, little Mai murmured, grinning to herself in the dark. Her nose told her that there was a path here that led to the Moomin Valley and to the house where one could find some warm quilts and possibly even a new sleeping bag. She dashed over the shore and straight in amongst the trees. She was so small that her feet made no tracks at all in the snow. Chapter 3. The Great Cold All the clocks were running again. Moomintroll felt less lonely after he had wound them all up. As time was lost anyway, he set them at different hours. Perhaps one of them would be right, he thought. Every so often they struck, and now and then an alarm clock would go off. It comforted him. But he could never forget the one terrible thing, that the sun didn't rise any longer. Yes, it's true. Morning and morning broke in a kind of grey twilight, and melted back again into the long winter night. But the sun never showed himself. He was lost, simply lost. Perhaps he had rolled out into space. At first, Moomintroll refused to believe it. He waited a long, long time. Every day he went down to the shore and sat there to wait, with his snout to the southeast. But nothing happened, and then he went home again, and he closed the hatch in the roof, and he lit a row of candles on the drawing room mantelpiece. The dweller under the sink had still not come out to eat, but was probably living a secret and important life all by himself. The groke sauntered about on the ice, deep in her own thoughts that no one would ever learn, and in the cupboard of the bathing house something dangerous was lurking amongst the gowns. Whatever can one do about such things? Such things just are, but one never knows why, and one feels hopelessly apart because of it. Moomintroll found a large box of paper transfers in the attic, and he lapsed into longing admiration of their summerish beauty. There were pictures of flowers and sunrises and little carts with gaudy wheels, glossy and peaceful pictures that reminded him of the world that he had lost. First he spread them out on the drawing room floor, and then he hit upon pasting them on the walls. He pasted slowly and carefully, so as to make the job last and the brightest pictures he pasted above his sleeping mama. Moomintroll had pasted along all the way to the looking-glass before he noticed that the silver tray had disappeared. It had always hung to the right of the looking-glass in a red, cross-stitched tray hanger, and now there was only the hanger and a dark oval on the wallpaper. He felt very upset, because he knew that Moom and Mama loved the tray. It was a family treasure that no one was allowed to use, and it used to be the only thing that was polished for midsummer. Distractedly, Moomintroll hunted everywhere. He found no tray, but he discovered that several other things were missing also, such as pillows and quilts, flour and sugar and a kettle, even the egg cosy with the rose embroidery. Moomintroll felt deeply offended, as he regarded himself as responsible on behalf of the sleeping family. At first he suspected the dweller under the sink. He also thought of the groke and of the mystery of the bathing house cupboard. But the guilty one could indeed be anybody... The winter probably was peopled with strange creatures who acted mysteriously and freakishly. I must ask too, Tiki, thought Moomintroll. True, I intended to punish the sun by staying at home until he comes back, but this is very important. 
When Moomintroll stepped out into the grey twilight, a strange white horse was standing by the veranda, staring at him with luminous eyes. He cautiously approached and greeted it, but the horse didn't move. Moomintroll now saw that it was made of snow. Its tail was a broom from the woodshed, and its eyes were small mirrors. He could see his own picture in the mirror eyes, and this frightened him a little, so he made a detour by the bare jasmine bushes. If there were only a single soul here that I knew of old, Moomintroll thought. Somebody who wouldn't be so mysterious, just quite ordinary. Somebody who had also awakened and didn't feel at home. And then, then one could say, Hello! Terribly cold, isn't it? Snow's a silly thing, what? Have you seen the jasmine bushes? Remember last summer when... Things like that. Tutiki sat on the bridge parapet singing. I'm Tutiki and I've made a horse, she sang. A wild white horse that goes a gallop, stamping over the ice and into the night. A white and solemn horse that goes a gallop, carrying the great cold upon his back. And then followed the refrain. How do you mean? asked Moomintroll. I mean that we'll spill river water over him tonight, Tutiki said, and then he'll freeze during the night and become all ice. And when the great cold comes, he'll gallop off and never return any more. Moomintroll was silent, and then he said, Somebody's carrying off things from Daddy's house. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? replied Tutiki cheerfully. You've got too many things about you, as well as things that you remember and things you're dreaming about. And then she started the second stanza. Moomintroll turned about and went away. She doesn't understand me, he thought. Behind him, the exultant chant went on. Sing all you want, Moomintroll muttered angrily, to the point of crying. Sing about your horrible winter with black ice and unfriendly snow horses, and people who never appear but only hide and are queer. He tramped at the slope, he kicked at the snow, his tears froze on his snout, and suddenly he started to sing his own song. He sang it at the top of his voice so that Tutiki would definitely hear it, and then be put out. This was Moomintroll's angry summer song. Listen, winter creatures, who sneak the sun away, who are hiding in the dark, and making the valley grey. I'm utterly alone, and I'm tired to the bone, and I'm sick enough of snowdrifts just to lay me down and groan. I want my blue veranda, and the glitter of the sea, and I tell you one and all that your winter's not for me. Just you wait until my sun comes back to look at you, and then you'll all look very silly, all of you. Moomintroll shouted, he didn't even care about his rhymes anymore, because then I'll dance on a sunflower disc, I'll lie on my stomach in the warm sand and keep my window open all day, on the garden and the bumblebees, on the blue sky and my own great orange-yellow sun. The silence was oppressive when Moomintroll finished his song of defiance. He stood listening for a while, but nobody opposed him. Something's bound to happen, he thought, with a tremble, and then something did happen. High up from near the top of the hill, something came coasting along. It shot downwards in a plume of glittering snow, and it shouted, "'Stand aside! Keep clear!' Moomintroll could only stare. Straight towards him rushed the silver tray. And on it sat the missing egg cosy. Tutiki must have poured river water on them, Moomintroll had time to reflect. And now they're alive and they're galloping all over the place and they'll never return home and... And then the collision came. Moomintroll was thrown deep into the snow. And even under the surface he could hear Tutiki's laughter. There was also another laugh. A laugh that could only belong to one person in the whole world. Little Mai, shouted Moomintroll with his mouth full of snow. He clambered to his feet, besides himself with happiness and expectation. Yes, there she was, sitting in the snow. 
She had cut holes for her head and arms in the tea cosy, and an embroidered rose adorned the middle of her stomach. Little Mai, cried Moomintroll once again. Oh, you can't even guess. It's been so strange, so lonely. Remember last summer when... Ah, but now it's winter, said Little Mai, and fished for the silver tray in the snow. We took a good jump, didn't we? I woke up and I couldn't go to sleep again, Moomintroll told her. The door had stuck, the sun was lost, not even the dweller under the sink would... Ah, quite, quite, said Little Mai cheerfully. So then you started pasting transfers on the walls. You're the same old Moomintroll. Now I wonder if it would speed up this tray a bit to rub it with candle grease. Ah, that's an idea, said Tutiki. I suppose I'll get quite a kick out of it on the ice, said Little Mai, if one can find something for a sale in the Moomin house. Moomintroll looked at them and thought for a while. Then he said quite quietly, You can always borrow my sun tent. The same afternoon, Tutiki felt in her nose that the great cold was on its way. She poured river water over the horse and carried armfuls of wood to the bathing house. Keep inside today, because she'll be coming, Tutiki said. The invisible shrews nodded, and an agreeing rustle was heard from the cupboard. Tutiki went out to warn the others. Take it easy, said Little Mai. I'll be coming in all right when I feel the pinch in my toes. I can always throw some straw over the mimble. Mai steered her silver tray out onto the ice. Tutiki continued her way towards the valley. On the path, she met the squirrel with a marvellous tail. Keep it home tonight, because the great cold is coming, said Tutiki. Yes, said the squirrel. You haven't seen a spruce cone I left here somewhere? No, I haven't, said Tutiki. But promise, promise that you won't forget that I told you. Stay at home after twilight. It's very important. The squirrel nodded absent-mindedly. Tutiki went on to the Moomin house and climbed the rope ladder that Moomin Troll had hung out. She opened the hatch and she called to him. Moomin Troll was darning the family's bathing trunks with red cotton yarn. I just wanted to tell you that the great cold is on her way, Tutiki said. A, a still greater one, asked Moomin Troll. How big do they grow? This is the most dangerous of them all, said Tutiki. And she'll come in the afternoon, when the sky changes to green, straight in from the sea. Oh, it's a she, then, asked Moomin Troll. Yes, and very beautiful said Tutiki. But if you look her in the face, you'll be frozen to ice. You'll be hard like a biscuit, and then not even crumble. That's why you'd better keep it home tonight. Tutiki crawled back out onto the roof. Moomintroll went down into the cellar, and he filled more peat into the central heating stove. He also spread some carpets over the sleeping family. And then he wound the clocks, and then he went out. He felt like having some company when the Lady of the Cold would make her visit. As Moomintroll reached the bathing house, the sky was already paler and greener than before. The wind had gone to sleep, and the dead reeds sprouted stiff and immobile from the ice by the shore. He listened, and he thought that he could hear a very low, deep, and softly humming tone in the silence itself. Perhaps it came from the ice that was freezing itself down deeper and deeper into the sea. The bathing house felt all warmed, and on the table stood Moomin Mama's blue teapot. He sat down in the garden chair and he asked, When is she coming? Quite soon now, said Tutiki, but don't worry. Well, the Lady of the Cold doesn't worry me any, said Moomintroll. I'm worried about the others, you see. Those that I don't know anything about. Like the dweller under the sink, and that one in the cupboard, or the groak that only looks at you and never says a word. Tutiki rubbed her nose and thought. Well, it's like this, she said. There are such a lot of things that have no place in summer, and autumn and spring. 
Everything that's a little shy and a little rum. Some kinds of night animals and people that don't fit in with others, and that nobody really believes in, you see. They keep out of the way all year, and then when everything is quiet and white, and the nights are long, and most people are asleep, then they appear. Do you know them? asked Moomintroll. Some of them, replied Tutiki. The dweller under the sink, for instance. Quite well. But I believe that he wants to lead a secret life, so I can't introduce you to each other. Moomintroll kicked at the table leg and he sighed. I see, I see, he replied. But I don't want to lead a secret life. Here one comes stumbling into something altogether new and strange, and not even a soul asking one in what kind of a world one has lived before. Not even little mine wants to talk about the real world. And how does one tell which one is the real one? said Tutiki with her nose pressed against a pane. Here she is. The door was pushed open, and little Maya sent the silver tray clattering in along the floor. That sail's not bad, she said, but what I really need now is a muff. Your mama's egg warmers'll never do, no matter where I cut the holes. Already it looks like something that one would never even have the cheek to give away to a displaced hedgehog. I can see that, replied Moomintroll, with a bleak look at the egg warmer. Little Maya threw it on the floor, and it was immediately tidied off into the stove by an invisible shrew. Well, is she coming? said Little Maya. I think so, said Tutiki quietly. Let's take a look outside. They went out onto the landing stage and sniffed towards the sea. The evening sky was green all over, and the world seemed to be made of thin glass. All was silent, nothing stirred and slender stars were shining everywhere and twinkling in the ice, and it was terribly, terribly cold. Yes, she's on her way, said Tutiki. We'd better go inside. The shrew stopped playing under the table. Far out on the ice came the Lady of the Cold. She was pure white, like the candles, but if one looked at her through the right pane, she became red, and seen through the left one, she was pale green. Suddenly, Moomintroll felt the pain become so cold that it hurt, and he drew back his snout in rather a fright. They sat down by the stove and they waited. Don't look, said Tutiki. Hello, there's something crawling into my lap, cried Little Mai surprisedly, and looked down at her empty skirt. Yes, it's my shrews, said Tutiki. They're scared. Sit still, they'll go away very soon. Now the Lady of the Cold was walking past the bathing house. Perhaps she did cast an eye through the window, because an icy draught suddenly swept through the room and darkened the red-hot stove for a moment. And then it was over. Feeling a little embarrassed, the invisible shrews jumped down from Little Maya's lap, and everybody rushed to the window and looked out. The Lady of the Cold was standing by the reeds. Her back was turned, and she was bending down over the snow. "'It's the squirrel,' said Tutiki. "'He's forgotten to keep it home.' The Lady of the Cold turned her beautiful face towards the squirrel and distractedly scratched him behind one ear. Bewitched, he stared back at her, straight into her cold blue eyes. The Lady of the Cold smiled, and she continued on her way. But she left the foolish little squirrel lying stiff and numb with all his paws in the air. Too bad, said Tutiki grimly, and she pulled her cap over her ears. She opened the door, and a cloud of white snow fog came whirling in. She darted out and in a moment she slipped back in again and laid the squirrel on the table. The invisible shrews came running with hot water and rolled up the squirrel in a warmed towel, but his little legs sprouted just as sadly and stiffly in the air as before, and he did not move a whisker. He's quite dead, said little Mai, matter-of-factly. At least he saw something very beautiful before he died, said Moomintroll in a trembling voice. Oh well, said little Mai, 
in any case he's forgotten it by now. And I'm going to make myself a sweet little muff out of his tail. Oh, but you can't, Moomintrol cried, very upset. He must have his tail with him in the grave. Because he has to be buried, hasn't he, Tutiki? Mmm, replied Tutiki. It's very hard to tell if people take any pleasure in their tails when they're dead. Please, said Moomintrol, don't talk about him being dead all the time. It's so sad. Well, when one's dead, then one's dead, said Tutiki kindly. The squirrel will become earth all in his time, and still later on they'll grow trees from him, with new squirrels skipping about in them. Do you think that's so very sad? Well, perhaps not, said Moomintrol, and then he blew his snout. But in any case, he's going to be buried tomorrow, and his tail too, and we'll have a nice and very proper funeral. The following day it was very cold in the bathing house. The fire was lighted in the stove, but evidently the invisible shrews were very tired. The coffee pot that Moomintrol had brought from the home had a thin layer of ice under the lid. Moomintrol wouldn't take any coffee, out of consideration for the dead squirrel. You'll have to give me my bathing gown, he said solemnly. Mother's told me that funerals are always very cold. Well, then turn your back and count to ten, said Tutiki. Moomintrol turned towards the window and he counted. At eight, Tutiki shut the cupboard door and gave him his blue gown. Ah, you remember that mine was the blue one, Moomintrol said happily. He stuck his paws in the pockets at once, but found no sunglasses there. Only a little sand and a perfectly round and smooth white pebble. He closed his paw around the pebble. Its roundness held all the security of summer. He could even imagine that it was still a little bit warm from lying in the sun. You look as if you're at the wrong party, said Little Mai. Moomintrol didn't even look at her. Are you coming to the funeral or not? he asked, in a dignified manner. Yes, of course we're coming, said Tutiki. He was a very nice squirrel in his way. Especially in the tail, Little Mai said. They wrapped the squirrel in an old bathing cap and they stepped out into the bitter cold. The snow crunched under their paws, and their breaths became clouds of white smoke. Moomintrol soon felt his snout stiffen, so that it was impossible to wrinkle it. Tough going, this, little Mai said happily, and she skipped along over the frozen shore. Can't you slow up a bit? asked Moomintrol. This is a funeral. He was able to draw only very short breaths in the icy air. I never knew you had any eyebrows at all, said little Mai interestedly. And now they're all white, and you look more confused than ever. Keep quiet now, said Tutiki sternly, because neither you nor I know anything about funerals. Moomintrol cheered up. He carried the squirrel up to the house, and he laid it down before the snow horse, and then he went up the rope ladder and down into the warm, peaceful drawing room where everybody lay asleep. He searched all the drawers, and he ransacked every place, but he didn't find what he needed. He went to his mother's bed, and he whispered a question in her ear. She sighed and turned around. Moomintrol repeated his whisper. And then Moomin Mama answered, from the depths of her womanly understanding of all that preserves tradition. Black bands. They're in my cupboard, top shelf, to the right. And then she sank back into her winter sleep again. But Moomintrol took out the ladder from under the staircase and he climbed up to the top shelf of the cupboard. And there he found the box with all those superfluous things that can sometimes be absolutely necessary... Black bands for mourning, golden bands for great celebration, and the key to the house, and a champagne whisk, and the tube of porcelain glue, and spare brass knobs for the bedposts, amongst all sorts of other things. When Moomintrol came out again, he had a black bow on his tail, and also made fast a little black bow on Tutiki's cap. But Little Mai refused blankly to be decorated. If I feel sorry, I needn't show it with a bow, she said. 
If you feel sorry, that is, said Mermin Troll, but you don't. No, said Little Mai, I can't. I'm always either glad or very angry. Would it help the squirrel if I were sorry? No, but if I'm angry at the Lady of the Coals, I might bite her on the leg sometime, and then perhaps she'll take care not to scratch other little squirrels behind the ear, just because they're sweet and fluffy. There's something in that, said Tutiki. But Moomintroll is also right, however that is possible. And what do we do now? Well, now I'm going to dig a hole in the ground, said Moomintroll. This is a nice spot. There are a lot of marguerites here in summer. Ah, but dearest, said Tutiki sadly. The ground's frozen stone hard. You couldn't bury even a grasshopper in this. Moomintroll looked helplessly at her without replying. No one said a word, and at that moment the snow horse lowered its head and cautiously sniffed at the squirrel. It looked questioningly at Moomintroll with its mirror eyes, and its broomstick tail moved slightly. At that same time, the invisible shrew stuck up a sad tune on his flute, and then the snow horse lifted the squirrel onto his back, tail and bathing cap and all, and everybody started to walk back to the shore. And Tutiki sang this about the squirrel. There was a little squirrel, a very small squirrel, and he wasn't very clever, but his fur was nice and warm. And now he's cold, quite cold, and all his legs are numb. But still he is the squirrel with the marvellous tail. When the horse felt hard ice under his hooves, he tossed his head, and his eyes lighted up, and suddenly he cut a caper and he galloped off. The invisible shrew changed to a fast and lively tune. Further and further away galloped the snow horse with the squirrel on his back. Finally he was just a speck on the horizon. I wonder if this went off right, said Moomintroll worriedly. It couldn't have gone any better, said Tutiki. Well, it could, said Little Mai, if only I'd got that nice tail off him. <clears throat> Chapter 4 The Lonely in the Rum. A few days after the squirrel's funeral, Moomintroll noticed that somebody had stolen peat from the woodshed. There were broad tracks in the snow outside, just as if heavy sacks had been lugged off. Oh, I can't be Little Mai, thought Moomintroll. She's much too small. And Tutiki only takes what she needs. It must be the Groke. He followed the trail with blistering neck fluff. There was no one else to keep watch over the family's fuel, and this was a matter of honour. The trail ended on top of the hill beside the cave. Um, side note, listeners. For those of you who listened to the last uh, Pokemon-themed text adventure, you would have heard the Evan T's Let's Reads, in which he read the first chapter of... Uh, comet in Moomin and in the first chapter they find the cave by the sea um, Sniff, the little creature finds the cave by the sea and it's the biggest moment of his life and they decided to make it a home and keep pearls in it and that's the same cave which Little Mai was sleeping in uh, at the beginning of chapter 1 uh, of this book and it's the same cave uh which was just mentioned then. The trail ended on top of the hill behind the cave. Um, so yeah, I like the sort of consistent geography in these books, from book one to book six. It's all the same valley. <coughs> anyway, he followed the trail with bristling neck fluff, blah, blah, blah. The trail ended on top of the hill behind the cave. There lay the peat sacks. They were piled up to make part of a bonfire. On top of them rested the family's garden sofa that had lost one of its legs in August. Ah, that sofa's going to look fine, said Tutiki, stepping out from behind the bonfire pile. It's old and it's dry as dust. Certainly, said Moomintroll. It's been a long time in the family. We could have repaired it. Yes, or made a new one, said Tutiki. 
Would you like to hear a song about Tutiki who made a great winter bonfire? By all means, replied Moomin Troll good-naturedly. And Tutiki started at once to stamp around slowly in the snow while she sang as follows. Here come the dumb and the lonely and the rum, the wild and the quiet, and thud goes the drum, and crackle goes the bonfire, glowing in the white snow, swing go the tail, swing through the light snow, thud goes the drumming in the black, black night. I've had enough of your snow and night, cried the Moomin Troll. No, I won't hear the refrain. No, I'm cold, I'm lonely, and I want my son back again. Ah, but that's exactly why we burn up the great winter bonfire tonight, said Tutiki. You'll get your son back tomorrow. My son, repeated Moomin Troll in a trembling voice. Tutiki nodded, and she rubbed her nose. Moomin Troll was silent a long while, and then he cautiously asked, Do you think she'd notice if the garden sofa were there or not? Oh, now listen, replied Tutiki sternly. This bonfire is a thousand years older than your garden sofa. You ought to feel honoured by its being good enough to be laid on top. And Moomin Troll said no more. I'll have to explain that to the family, he thought, and perhaps there'll be new driftwood and a new sofa on the shore after the spring gales. The pie was growing. Dried-up tree trunks were being lugged up the hillside, as well as rotten shrubs, old casks and battens that people seemed to have found on the shore. But the people themselves never came into view. Moomin Troll had a feeling that the hill was thronged with them, but he never caught sight of anybody. Little Mai came along, trailing her cardboard box in the snow. I won't need it now, she said. The silver tray is much better, and my sister seems to like sleeping in the drawing room carpet. When are we going to light the fire? At moonrise, said Tutiki. Moomin Troll felt greatly excited all evening. He padded from one room to the next and lit more candles than usual. Now and again he stood still, listening to the even breathing of the sleepers and the light snapping in the walls as the cold sharpened. He felt certain that all the mysterious people would come out of their holes and their dens tonight, and all the light shy and unreal that Tutiki had talked about. They'd come padding up to the great bonfire that all the small beasts had lighted to make the dark and the cold go away, and now he would see them. Moomintrol lit the oil lamp and went up to the attic. He opened the hatch and the moon had not yet risen, but the valley was bleakly lighted by the aurora borealis. Down by the bridge, a file of torches was moving along, surrounded by leaping shadows. They were on their way to the seashore and the hilltop. Moomintrol climbed cautiously down with a lighted lamp in his hand. The garden and the wood were filled with flickering lights and whispers, and all tracks were leading towards that hill. When he reached the shore, the moon was already high over the ice, chalk blue and terribly remote. Something moved beside Moomintrol, and he looked down into Little Mai's ferociously gleaming eyes. It's going to be quite a fire, she laughed. Make all the moonshine look silly. They looked towards the hilltop at the same time, and saw a yellow flame rising against the sky. Tutiki had lit the bonfire. It wrapped itself in flames at once from ground to top. It gave a roar like a lion and threw its reflection straight down into the black ice. A lonely little tune came running past Moomintrol. It was the invisible shrew who was a little late for the winter ritual. Small and great shadows were solemnly skipping around the fire on the hilltop. Tails were beginning to thud on drums. Goodbye to your garden sofa, said Little Mai. I've never needed it, Moomintrol replied impatiently. He stumbled up the icy slope. It was glittering in the firelight, the snow was melting from the heat, and the warm water wet his paws. 
The sun's coming back again, Moomintrol thought, in great excitement. No darkness, no loneliness anymore. Once again I'll sit in the sun on the veranda and feel my back warming. Now he was up on top. The air was hot around the fire. The invisible shrew was blowing another on a wilder tune. But the dancing shadows were already gliding away and the drums were thudding on the other side of the fire. Why did they go away? asked Moomintrol. Tutiki looked at him with her calm blue eyes. Still, he wasn't quite sure that she really did see him at all. She was looking into her own private winter world that had followed its own strange rules year after year while he had lain sleeping in the warm Moomin house. Where's he that lives in the bathing house cupboard? Moomintrol asked. What did you say? said Tutiki absentmindedly. I'd like to meet him that lives in the bathing house cupboard, repeated Moomintrol. Oh, but he's not allowed to come out, said Tutiki. You can't tell what such a one would find in its head to do. A herd of small creatures with spindly legs came blowing like a wisp of smoke over the ice. Someone with silvered horns walked stamping past Moomintrol, and over the fire flapped something black with large wings and disappeared northwards. But everything happened a little too quickly, and Moomintrol never found time to introduce himself. "'Oh, please, Tutiki,' he asked, pulling at her sweater. She said kindly, "'Well, there's the dweller under the sink.' He was a rather small one, with bushy eyebrows. He sat by himself, looking into the fire. Moomintrol sat down beside him and said, "'I hope those biscuits weren't too old?' The little beast looked at him, but didn't reply. "'May I compliment you on your exceptionally bushy eyebrows?' Moomintrol continued politely. To this the beast with the eyebrows replied, "'Chadafuamu!' "'What?' asked Moomintrol, surprisedly. "'Radamasa,' said the little beast fretfully. "'He has a language all his own, and now he believes that you've hurt him,' Tutiki explained. "'Oh, but that wasn't my intention at all,' said Moomintrol anxiously. "'Radamasa, Radamasa,' he said imploringly. This seemed to make the beast with the eyebrows really overcome by rage. He rose in great haste, and he disappeared. "'Oh, dear me, what shall I do?' said Moomintrol. "'Now he'll live under our sink for a whole year more without knowing I just wanted to be friends with him.' Well, such things happen, said Tutiki. The garden sofa crumbled to pieces in a shower of sparks. Nearly all the flames had died down by now, but great embers were still smouldering, and the water was bubbling in the crevices, but the shrews suddenly stopped playing and everybody looked out towards the ice. The groke was sitting there, her round little eyes reflecting the glow, but otherwise she was just a large, shapeless greyness. She'd grown a lot since August. The drums ceased while the groat came shuffling up the hillside. She went straight to the fire, and without saying a word, she sat down on it. And there was a sharp hissing sound, and the hilltop was wrapped in mists. When it passed away again, no embers were to be seen, only a big grey groke blowing snow fog all about her. Moomintrol had fled down to the shore with many others. He found Tutiki there also, and he shouted, What happens now? Has the groke made the sun stay away? Take it easy, replied Tutiki. She didn't come to extinguish the fire, you see. She came to warm herself, poor creature. But everything that's warm goes cold when she sits down on it, and now she's disappointed once more. Moomintrol saw the groke rise again and sniff at the frosted charcoal beneath her, and then she went over to his oil lamp that was still alight in the snow, and then he saw it go out. The groke remained immobile for a moment, and the hill was empty. Everybody had left and then she glided down to the ice again and back into the darkness, as she had come alone. And Moomintrol went home.
Before he went to bed, he cautiously pulled Moomin Mama's ear and told her, It wasn't really a very fun party. Really? Dear me, mumbled Moomin Mama in her sleep. Perhaps next time. But under the sink sat the beast with the bushy eyebrows, grumbling to himself. Radamasha, he said crossly. Radamasha! And he shrugged his shoulders violently. Probably no one in the whole valley would have understood what he was saying. Tutiki was sitting under the ice with her fishing rod. She liked the sea's habit of sinking a bit now and then. At those times, she could easily climb down through a hole by the landing stage and seat herself on a boulder to fish. And then one had a nice green ceiling of ice overhead and the sea at one's feet. A black floor and a green ceiling, both stretching away into the darkness forever. Beside Tutiki lay four small fish. One more, and she'd have her soup. Suddenly she heard impatient steps coming nearer to the landing stage. Up there, Moomintroll rapped at the bathing house door. He waited a moment, and then he knocked again. Oh, shouted Tutiki, I'm under the ice! The echo raised its head somewhere to the left of her and shouted, Ho! And it went sliding back and forth several times, crying, Under the ice! Under the ice! After a while, Moomintroll's snout cautiously appeared in the opening. His ears were decorated with limp gold ribbons. He looked at the steaming black water and at Tutiki's four fish. He shivered, and he said, Well, he he didn't come. Who didn't? asked Tutiki. The sun, cried Moomintroll. The sun, repeated the echo. Sun, sun, sun. Further and further off. Weaker and weaker. Tutiki hauled on her line. Don't be in such a hurry, she said. He's been coming on this day every year, so probably he'll do it now again. Pull up your snout so I can come out of here. Tutiki clambered up to the surface and sat down on the bathing house steps. She sniffed lightly and listened, and then she said, Soon now, sit down and wait. Little Mai came skating over the ice and sat down beside them. She had tied little lids under her shoes for better speed. So here we are, waiting for something wonderful again, she says. Not that I wouldn't like a little daylight. Two old crows came flapping from the wood and alighted on the roof of the bathing house. The minutes passed, and then all at once, the fluff on Moomintroll's back bristled, and in great excitement he saw a red light gathering on the dusky sky just over the horizon. It thickened to a narrow red sliver of fire that threw a long red ray of light along the ice. There he is, cried Moomintroll. He lifted Little Mai in his arms and kissed her smack on the nose. Golly, what a fuss, said Little Mai. What's all this to make such a noise about? Of course, cried Moomintroll. Spring, warmth, everybody will wake up. How splendid. He took the four fish and threw them high in the air. He stood on his head. He had never felt so happy in all his life. And then the ice became dark again. The crows took off and went slowly flapping over the shore. Tutiki gathered up her fishes, and the little red strip hid itself down under the horizon again. Did he change his mind? Moomintroll asked, horrified. Well, no wonder after taking a peep at you, said Little Mai, and skated off on her tin lids. He'll return tomorrow, replied Tutiki, and then he'll be a tiny bit bigger, about like a piece of cheese rind, so take it easy. And Tutiki crept back under the ice to fill her soup kettle with seawater. Of course she was right. It can't be done in a trice for a sun to appear in the sky, but you won't be less disappointed just because other people are right and you are not, will you? 
Moomintrol sat staring down at the ice, and suddenly he felt that he was becoming angry. It started down in his tummy like all strong feelings do. He felt that somebody had pulled on his leg. And he felt a fool for having made such a noise and tied gold ribbons about his ears. And that made him angrier still. Finally, he felt that he had to do something really terrible and forbidden to be able to calm down again. And at once, he started to fret. He started to his feet ran over the landing stage and into the bathing house. He went straight to the cupboard, and he threw the door wide open. There hung the bathing gowns. There lay the rubber hemulin that wasn't quite airtight, just as they had been last summer, but on the floor a grey little thing was sitting and staring at him, very hairy and grey and snouty. And then it came to life and whizzed past him like a draught and disappeared. He saw its tail slide out through the chink in the bathing house door like a piece of black string. The tuft caught for a fleeting moment, but it was pulled free, and then the beast was gone. Tutiki came in with a kettle between her paws and said, So, you couldn't keep from opening the door. It was only a sort of old rat, Troll repeated surlily. That was no rat, said Tutiki. That was a troll. A troll of the kind that you yourself were before you became a Moomin. That was how you looked a thousand years ago. Moomin Troll found no reply. He went home and he sat down in the drawing room to think. After a while, little Mai dropped in to borrow some candles and sugar. I hear terrible things about you, she said happily. They say you've been letting your old forefathers out of the cupboard. You resemble each other, I hear. Shut up, please, said Moomin Troll. He went up to the attic and found the family album. Page after page of dignified moomins, most often reproduced standing in front of porcelain stoves or on framework verandas. Not a single one of them resembled the cupboard troll. It must be a mistake, Moomin Troll thought. He can't be any relation of mine. He went down and he looked at his sleeping daddy. Only the snout bore some resemblance to the trolls, but possibly a thousand years ago? The cut glass chandelier started jingling. It was slowly swaying back and forth and something was moving about inside the gauze. Something small and hairy, a long black tail was hanging straight down amongst the prisms. There he is, Moomintrol murmured. My ancestor has set himself up in the chandelier. But now this didn't seem so very bad. Moomintrol was getting accustomed to the bewitched time of winter. How are you? he asked softly. The troll looked at him through the gauze and wiggled its ears. Be careful with the chandelier, Moomin Troll continued. It's a family piece. The troll tilted its head and looked intently at him, obviously trying to listen. Oh, now he's going to speak, thought Moomin Troll. All at once he felt terribly afraid that his ancestor might try and tell him something. What if he spoke some foreign language, like the little beast with the eyebrows? If he became angry and said, Radamasar, or something, and then they'd perhaps never be friends afterwards. Hush, hush, whispered Moomintrol, don't say anything. Perhaps they were related after all, and relatives who have come on a visit may stay for any length of time. If it's an ancestor, he may stay forever, who can tell? If one weren't careful, he might misunderstand one and be angry, and then the family would have to live with an angry ancestor all of their lives. Hush, repeated Moomintrol, hush, hush. The ancestor jingled the prisms slightly, but said nothing. I'll show him about the house, Moomintrol thought. That's what mother would have done if a relative had come to visit. He took the lamp and held it before a beautiful hand-painted picture called Filionk at Window. 
The troll looked at it and shrugged his shoulders. Moomintroll went on to the plush sofa. He showed the troll all the chairs, one by one, the drawing room mirror, and the Meerschaum tram, everything of beauty and value that the Moomin family possessed. The troll looked attentively at it all, but it was clear that it didn't understand the use of such things. Finally, Moomintroll sighed and placed the lamp on the mantelpiece. But this caught the troll's interest very strongly. It dropped down from the chandelier and went scuttling around the porcelain stove like a little grey bundle of rags. It stuck its head inside the shutters and sniffed at the ashes. It showed great curiosity in the embroidered cord that hung from the damper, and noved for a long time in the cranny between the stove and the wall. It must be true then, Moomintroll thought. Agitatedly, we are related, because mothers always told me that our forebears lived behind stoves. At that moment, the alarm clock went off. Moomintroll used to have it ring at dusk, because that was the time when he longed most for company. The troll stiffened visibly, and then it whizzed inside the stove in a cloud of ashes. A moment later, it started rattling the damper in no friend. A moment later, it started rattling the damper in no very friendly way. Moomintroll shut off the alarm clock and listened with a thumping heart, but nothing else was to be heard. A few specks of soot came falling down the chimney, and the damper cord was swaying. Moomintroll went out onto the roof to calm himself. "'Well, how'd you like Grandfather?' Little Mai shouted from her sledge slide. "'An excellent person,' Moomintroll remarked with dignity. "'In an old family like ours, people know how to behave.' Suddenly he felt very proud of having an ancestor, and it cheered him no little to think that Little Mai had no pedigree at all, but rather came into this world by chance.' That night, Moomintroll's ancestor rearranged the house, quietly enough, but with surprising strength. In the morning, he had turned the sofa towards the porcelain stove and hung all the pictures anew. Those that he liked least, he hung upside down, or perhaps they were those that he thought best of, who knows. Not a single piece of furniture stood in its old place, and the alarm clock lay in the slop pail. Indeed, he had carried down a heap of old junk from the attic and piled it high around the stove. Tutiki came over to look. I believe he's done that to feel more at home, she said, and she rubbed her nose. He's tried to build himself a nice thicket around his house, so that he can be left alone, you see. What will Mother say, said Moomintroll. Tutiki shrugged her shoulders. Well, why'd you have to let him out, she said. In any case, this troll never eats anything. Very practical for him and for you. You'll have to think the whole matter's fun, I suppose. Moomintroll nodded. He thought for a while, and he crawled inside the thicket of broken chairs, empty boxes, fishing nets, cardboard tubes, old baskets, and gardening tools. Very soon he discovered that it was a cosy kind of place. He decided to sleep the night in a basket of wool that stood under a useless rocking chair. As a matter of fact, he had never felt really secure in his dim-lit drawing room with the empty windows, and to look at the sleeping family made him melancholy. But here, in the small space between a packing case, the rocking chair, and the back of the sofa, he felt at ease, and not at all lonely. He could see a little bit of blackness inside the stove, but he was careful not to disturb his ancestor, and built walls around his nest as quietly as he could. In the evening, he took the lamp there with him, and lay for a while listening to the ancestors rustling in the chimney. Perhaps I lived like this a thousand years ago, Moomintroll thought happily. He half thought of shouting something up the chimney, just a word of secret concord. But then he thought better of it. He blew out his lamp and he curled up, deep in the wall. Chapter 5. The New Guests Each day the sun rose a little higher in the sky. 
Finally, it had reached high enough to throw a few cautious rays into the valley. That was a most important day. It was remarkable also because a stranger arrived in the valley shortly after noon. It was a thin little dog with a tattered woolen cap pulled... <clears throat> he said that his name was Sorry Oo, and that there was no food left in the valleys to the... He was a thin little dog with a tattered woolen cap pulled deep over his ears. He said that his name was Sorry Oo, and that there was no food left in the valleys to the north. Since the Lady of the Cold had passed, people had had next to nothing to eat. A desperate Hemulin was even rumoured to have gobbled down his own beetle collection, but this was probably untrue. Possibly he'd eaten some other Hemulin's collection, though. Anyway, lots of people were now on their way towards the Moomin Valley. Somebody had told everybody that rowan berries and a whole cellar full of jam were to be found here, but probably the jam cellar was just a rumour as well. Sorry Oo sat down in the snow on his thin tail, and all his face wrinkled up at his worries. We live on fish soup here, Tutiki said. I've never heard anything about a jam cellar. Moomintroll threw a sudden look at the round snowdrift behind the woodshed. Yeah, there it is, said Little Mai. There is such lots of jam in there that it makes you sick just to think of it. All the jars are dated and tied with red string as well. I'm kind of keeping an eye on the family's things while they sleep, Moomintroll said, and he blushed a little. Oh, of course you are, mumbled Soryu resignedly. Moomintroll looked at the veranda, and then at Soryu's wrinkled face. Do you like jam? he asked gruffly. I don't know, Soryu replied humbly. Moomintroll sighed, and then he said, Well, just mind that you start with the oldest jars, okay? A few hours later, a flock of small creep came plodding over the bridge, and a confused and complaining filionk was seen to be running to and fro in the garden. Her pot of plants were frozen, she said, and somebody had eaten all her winter food. And then on the way to the Moomin Valley, she had met an insolent Gafsi, who had told her that winter was no laughing matter, and why hadn't she prepared herself better? At dusk, there was a lot of people threading paths to the jam cellar. Those that had a little more strength left in their legs went down on the shore, and they settled down in the bathing house. But no one was allowed in the cave. Little Maya said that the Mimmel couldn't be disturbed in there. Before the Moomin House, some of the most miserable ones were sitting and lamenting their fate when Moomin Troll appeared on the roof with his oil lamp. You'd better come inside for the night, he said. You never know what with grokes and such around. I never was one for rope ladders, declared an old Wampa. Moomin Troll descended and he started to dig a hole to the entrance door. He shoveled and scratched and worked away. Soon the hole was a long and narrow tunnel extending through the snow, but when he finally reached the wall there was no door to be found, only a window, frozen fast like all the others. I must have dug wrong, Moomintroll said to himself, and if I dig a new tunnel perhaps I'll miss the house altogether. So he broke the window, as nicely as possible, and the guests soon came crawling in after him. Please don't awaken the family, said Moomintroll. This is mother and this is father. Over there is the snork maiden. My ancestor sleeps in the stove. You'll have to roll yourselves up in the carpets because most of the other things have been borrowed. The guests bowed to the sleeping family and then they obligingly rolled themselves up in the carpets and tablecloths, and the smallest ones went to sleep in caps and slippers and the like. Many of them had a cold and some of them were homesick. This is terrible, Moomintroll thought. Very soon the jam cellar will be empty. And what shall I say when the family awakens in the spring, and all the pictures are hanging wrong, and the house is thronged with people? 
He crawled back through the tunnel to see if anybody had been left outside. The moonlight was blue. Sorry, Oo sat alone in the snow, howling. He put his muzzle straight up in the air and howled a long and melancholy song. Why don't you go into bed? asked Mumatrol. Sorry, Oo looked at him with eyes that shone green in that moonlight. One ear was pointing straight up, while the other listened to the side. His whole face was listening. Very faintly, they could hear the howl of hunting wolves. Sorry, Oo nodded bleakly, and he pulled his woolen cap on again. My great strong brethren, he whispered, how I long to be with them. Aren't you afraid of them? asked Moomintroll. Yes, I am, said Sorry, Oo. That is the sad part. And he slunk off along the path to the bathing house. Moomintroll crept back into the drawing room. A little creep had been frightened by the mirror and sat sobbing in the Meerschaum tram. Otherwise, everything was silent. What troubles people have, Moomintroll thought. Perhaps the jam isn't such an awful matter after all. And I could always put the Sunday jar aside, the strawberry one, for the time being anyway. At dawn the following day, the valley was awakened by clear and piercing bugle notes. Mai sat up at once in her cave, and her feet started to beat time. Tutiki pricked up her ears, and Sorry Oo rushed under one of the benches with his tail between his legs. Moomintroll's ancestor annoyedly rattled the damper, and most of the guests then woke up. Moomintroll rushed to the window, and he crawled out through the snow tunnel. The pale winter sun shone over a big hemulin who came rushing down the nearest slope on his skis. He was holding a shining brass horn to his snout, and he seemed to be having a splendid time blowing it. That one's going to eat lots of jam, Moomintroll thought, and whatever are those things he's got on his feet. The hemulin laid his bugle on the woodshed roof, and then he took off his skis. Good slopes you have hereabouts, he said. Got any slalom here? I'll ask, said Moomintroll. He crawled back to the drawing room, and then he asked, Is there anybody here by the name of Slalom? My name is Salome, whispered the creep who had been frightened by the mirror. Moomintroll went back out to the Hemulin, and he said, Almost, but not quite. There is one, Salome. But the Hemulin was sniffing about in Moomintpapa's tobacco plot, and he didn't listen. This is the place for a house, he said. We'll make an igloo here. "'You might move into my house,' Moomintroll said lingeringly. "'Thanks, never,' replied the Hemulin. "'Too stuffy and unhealthy. I want fresh air, and lots of it. Let's start at once and not lose any time at all.' Moomintroll's guests were beginning to crawl outside. They stopped and they stood staring. "'Won't he play some more?' asked Salome, the little creep. "'There is a time for everything, young lady,' said the Hemulin briskly, "'and this is the time for a spot of work.' A little later, all the guests were busy building an igloo on Moomintpapa's tobacco plot. The Hemulin himself was enjoying a swim in the river, with a couple of chilled creep as terrified spectators. Moomintroll went running down to the bathing house at top speed. Too ticky, he shouted. There's a Hemulin here. He's going to live in an igloo, and at this moment he's bathing in the river. Ah, oh, that kind of Hemulin, Too ticky said earnestly. Then goodbye to peace and all that. She laid her fishing rod aside. On her way back, they met little Mai, who beamed with excitement. Seen what he's got? She cried. They're called skis. I'm going to get myself a pair exactly like them at once. The igloo was already taking shape. 
The guests drudged for all they were worth, and all the while throwing longing looks towards the jam cellar. The Hemulon was doing gymnastics down by the river. "'Isn't the cold wonderful?' he said. "'I'm never in such good shape as in winter. Won't you have a dip before breakfast?' Mermentrol stared at the Hemulon sweater. It was black and lemon yellow and zigzaggy. He wondered, slightly troubled, why he couldn't find the Hemulon a jolly person.' Although he had been longing and longing for somebody who wouldn't be secretive and distant, but cheery and tangible, exactly like this Hemulon. And now he was feeling more a stranger to the Hemulon than even to the angry and incomprehensible beast under the sink. He looked helplessly at Tutiki. She was pouting her underlip and looking at her mitten with raised eyebrows. From this, Moomintrol knew that Tutiki didn't like the Hemulon either. He turned to the Hemulon and said with all the kindness of a bad conscience, It must be wonderful to like the cold weather so. I love it, replied the Hemulon, beaming at him. It puts a stop to all unnecessary thoughts and fancies. Believe me, there is nothing more dangerous in life than to become an indoor sitter. Oh, said Moomintrol. Yes, it gives you all kinds of ideas, said the Hemulon. What time is breakfast here? Well, when I've caught some fish, Tutiki said sullenly. I never eat fish, said the Hemulon, only vegetables and berries. A cranberry jam, Moomin asked hopefully. The large jar of cranberries had not been popular. But the Hemulon replied, no, preferably strawberry. After breakfast, the Hemulon donned his skis and went up to the highest of the nearby slopes. The one that started on the hilltop and passed the cave. Down in the valley stood all the guests, looking on. They were a little uncertain of what to think of him. They trampled about in the snow and they wiped their noses now and then because it was so very, very cold that day. And now the Hemulon came hurtling downhill. It looked terrifying. Halfway down the slope, he swerved in a cloud of glittering snow dust and careered off in another direction. And then he gave a shout and swerved back again. And now he was rushing one way and now another, and his black and yellow sweater made one's eyes water. Moomintrol closed his eyes and he thought, how very different people are. Little Mai was already standing on the top of the hill, shouting from joy and admiration. She had broken a barrel and fastened two of the staves under her boots. Here I come, she cried, and without a moment's hesitation, Little Mai set out, straight down the hill. Moomintrol looked up with one eye and saw that she would manage it. Her ferocious little face bore the mark of happy confidence, and her legs were stiff as pegs. Suddenly, Moomintrol felt very proud. Little Mai never shied. She hurtled at breakneck speed close to a pine trunk, and she wobbled, caught her balance again, and with a roar of laughter, threw herself down into the snow beside the Moomin Troll. She is one of my oldest friends, he explained to the Filionk. I believe you, replied the Filionk sourly. What time are elevensies here? The Hemulon came plodding over to them. He had taken off his skis, and his snout was glistening from friendliness and warmth. Now let's teach Moomin how to ski, he said. I prefer not, thanks, Moomintrol mumbled, and he shrank back a little. He looked around for Tutiki, but she had gone, perhaps to catch another kettle of fish. The main thing is to keep cool, whatever happens, the Hemulon was saying encouragingly, and already fastening the skis to Moomintrol's paws. But I don't want to, Moomintrol began miserably. Little Maya was looking at him with raised eyebrows. Oh, well, he said bleakly, but no high hill. No, no, just a slope down to the bridge, the Hemulon said. Bend your knees, lean forward. Don't let the skis slip apart. Keep a straight back, arms close to your body. Can you remember what I've just told you? No, said Moomintrol. He felt a push in his back, and then he closed his eyes, and he started off. 
First his skis ran as far away as possible from each other, and then they came together again and mixed themselves up with his ski sticks. On top of the mixture lay Moomin Troll in a strange position. The guests all cheered up. Patience is very necessary, said the Hemulin. Oops-a-daisy, let's do it again. Legs feel a bit shaky, muttered Moomin Troll. This was almost worse than the lonely kind of winter. Even the sun, the so much longed for, was shining straight down into the valley and looking at his humiliation. And now the bridge came rushing at him up the hill. Moomintroll stuck out one leg to save his balance. The other leg went skiing on. The guests gave a cheer and were beginning to find some fun in life again. Nothing was up anymore and nothing was down. Nothing existed but snow and misery and disaster everywhere all around him. And then, finally, Moomintroll found himself hanging in the willow bushes by the river. His tail was trailing in the icy water and the whole world was filled with skis and sticks in front of him and new hostile perspectives. Well, it won't do to lose your pluck, the Hemulin kindly remarked. Next time does it. But there was no next time because Moomintroll lost his pluck. He really did, and for a long time afterwards he wouldn't dream about making that third triumphant attempt. He had have swerved up to the bridge in a sweeping curve and then stopped and turned around towards the others with a smile, and they'd all have shouted in admiration. But as it happened, things did not go that way at all. Instead, Moomintroll said, I am going home. Ski all you care to, but I am going home. And without looking at anybody, he crawled into the snow tunnel and into his warm drawing room and furthest into his nest under the rocking chair. He could hear the Hemulans' whoops from the hill. Moomintroll put his head inside the stove and he whispered, I don't like him either. The ancestor threw down a flake of soot, perhaps to show his sympathy. Moomintroll took a piece of coal and he began peacefully to draw on the back of the sofa. He drew a Hemulan standing on his head in a snowdrift and inside the stove stood a large jar of strawberry jam. During the following week, Tutiki sat doggedly under the ice with her fishing rod. Beside her, under the green ceiling, sat a row of guests, also angling. Those were the guests that disliked the Hemulin, and inside the Moomin house, by and by, gathered all who didn't care to, weren't able to, or didn't dare to remonstrate. Early in the mornings, the Hemulin used to put in his head and a burning torch at the broken window. He liked torches and campfires, and who doesn't? But he always put them in the wrong place, as it were. The guests loved their long, somewhat slovenly forenoons when the new day was allowed to break later, while everybody discussed the dreams of the night and listened to Moomintroll making coffee in the kitchen. The Hemulin interrupted all of that. He always began by telling them that the drawing room was so stuffy and described the fresh cold weather outside. And then he chatted about what could be done in this fine new day. He did his utmost to find some amusements for them all, and he was never hurt when they refused his proposal. He only patted them on the back and said, Well, well, you'll see for yourself by and by how right I am. The only one who followed him everywhere was Little Mai. He generously taught her everything he knew about skiing, beaming over her progress. Little Miss Mai, said the Hemulin, you are born on skis. You'll beat me at my own game soon. That is exactly what I figured to do, replied little Mai, very sincerely. But as soon as she was fully trained, she disappeared to her own hills that nobody knew about, and she didn't care much for the Hemulin anymore. And as time passed, more and more of the guests became anglers under the ice. And finally the Hemulin's black and yellow sweater was the only blob of colour left on the hillside. The guests didn't like to be involved in new and troubling things. They liked to sit together, talking about old times, before the Lady of the Cold came and they ran out of food.
They told each other how they had furnished their homes, and whom they were related to, and who they used to visit, and how terrible the coming of the great cold had been, when everything changed. They shifted closer to the stove, listening to each other, and patiently waiting for their own turn to speak. Moomintroll saw that the Hemulin was left more and more to himself. I must get him to leave before he notices and he feels hurt by this, Moomintroll thought, and before he finishes all the jam as well. But it wasn't easy to find a pretext that would be both believable and tactful. Sometimes the Hemulin went skiing down on the shore and he tried to coax Soryu from the bathing house, but neither dog sledge nor even ski jumping could interest Soryu. He used to sit out all the nights, howling at the moon, and in daytime he was sleepy and he wanted to be left alone. Finally, one day the Hemulin thrust his sticks in the snow and he said imploringly, Don't you see? I like little dogs so terribly much. I've always thought that one day I'd have a little dog of my own, who would like me too. Why won't you play with me? I really don't know, sorry you mumbled, blushing. As soon as he had the chance, he slunk back to the bathing house, and there he continued to dream about the wolves. It was the wolves he wanted to play with. What boundless happiness, he thought, to hunt with them, to follow them everywhere, to do everything they did and everything they wanted him to do. And then, by and by, he himself would change and become as free and wild as they were. Every night, when the moonlight glittered in the ice ferns on the windows, Sorry Oo awoke in the bathing house and rose to listen. Every night he pulled his woolen cap over his ears and he padded out softly. He took the same path every time, across the sloping shore and into the woods. He continued on his way until the wood became more open and he could see the lonely mountains. There Sorry Oo sat down in the snow and he waited for the howling of the wolves. Sometimes they were very, very far away, sometimes nearer, but he heard them nearly every night. And each time Soryu heard them, he put his muzzle up and answered. Towards morning he crept back again and he went to sleep in the bathing house cupboard. Tutiki once looked at him and said, You'll never forget them that way. I don't want to forget them, replied Soryu. I want to think of them always. Strangely enough, it was the most timid of them all, Salome, the little creep, who really liked the Hemulin. She longed to hear him play the horn, but alas, the Hemulin was so big and always in such a hurry that he never noticed her. No matter how fast she ran, he always left her far behind on his skis, and when she at last overtook the music, it ceased, and the Hemulin began doing something else instead. A couple of times, Salome, the little creep, tried to explain how much she admired him, but she was far too shy and ceremonious and the Hemulin never had been a very good listener, so nothing of any consequence was ever said. One night Salome the little creeper woke in the Meerschaum tram, where she had settled down on the back gangway. It was no comfortable sleeping place because of the many buttons and safety pins the Moomin Trolls, in the course of time, had collected in their magnificent drawing room decoration, and Salome the little creep, of course, was much too considerate to remove any of them. Now she could hear Tutiki and Moomintroll talking under the rocking chair, and at once she understood that they were talking about her beloved Hemulin. This is the limit, said Tutiki's voice in the dark. We simply have to have some peace here again. Ever since he started his bugle tooting, my musical shrew has refused to play the flute. Most of my invisible friends have gone away. The guests have a lot of nerves and colds from sitting under the ice with me all day long, and sorry you hides in the cupboard until nightfall. Somebody has to tell this Hemulin to leave. Oh, I haven't the heart, said Moomintroll. He's so convinced that we like him. Then we'll have to swindle him, said Tutiki. Tell him that the hills in the Lonely Mountains are much higher and much better than ours. 
There are no skiing grounds at all in the Lonely Mountains, said Moomintroll. Only abysses and snaggy cliffs, and not even any snow. Salome the little creep shivered, and her eyes suddenly filled with tears. Tutiki replied, Hemulans always manage. And do you suppose it's better to have him understand that we don't like him at all? Think about that. Well, can't you do it? Moomintroll asked wretchedly. He lives in your garden, doesn't he? said Tutiki. Pull yourself together. Everybody will be better afterwards. And he too. And then all was silent. Tutiki had crawled out through the window. Salome the little creep lay awake and staring out into the darkness. They wanted to send the Hemulin and his horn away. They wanted him to tumble into abysses. There was only one thing to do. He had to be warned against the lonely mountains, but cautiously, so that he wouldn't know that people wanted to get rid of him. Salome the little creep lay awake all night, pondering. Her small head wasn't accustomed to important thoughts like these, and towards the morning she was fast asleep. She slept over morning coffee and dinner, and no one even remembered her existence. After breakfast, Moomintroll went up to the skiing slope. "'Hello!' cried the Hemulin. "'Fun to see you here. May I teach you a very simple little turn? It's not dangerous in the least?' "'Thanks, not today,' said Moomintroll, feeling a big beast. "'I just passed by for a chat.' "'Why, that's great,' said the Hemulin. "'You're not very chatty. None of you, I've noticed. "'You always seem to be in a hurry and going off somewhere or other.' Moomintroll cast him a quick look, but the Hemulin looked simply interested and beaming as usual. Moomintroll took a deep breath, and then he said, "'I happen to know that there are some really wonderful hills in the Lonely Mountains.' "'Are there really?' said the Hemulin. "'Oh, yes, enormous,' Moomintroll continued nervously. "'The most colossal ups and downs.' Why, I ought to give them a try, said the Hemulin. But that's far away. If I'm after the Lonely Mountains, we might meet again this side of spring. And that'd be a pity, wouldn't it? Of course, Moomintroll replied, untruthfully, blushing strongly. But really, it's quite an idea, the Hemulin mused on. That would be outdoor life indeed. The log fire in the evenings, a new mountain tops to conquer every morning. Long ravine slopes, untouched snow, crisp rustling under my rushing skis. The Hemulin lapsed into daydreams. You're really a splendid pal to take such interest in my skiing, he said thankfully, after a while. Moomintroll stared at him, and then he broke out. But they're dangerous hills. Not to me, said the Hemulin calmly. Kind of you to warn me, but I really do love hills. The bigger the better, in fact. Oh, but they're impossible, cried Moomintroll, beside himself now. Nothing but steep precipices that don't even hold any snow. I told you wrong, I told you wrong. I remember now that somebody told me that it's quite impossible to ski there. Are you sure? said the Hemulin, wonderingly. Believe me, implored Moomintroll. Please, won't you stay with us instead? Besides, I've thought about learning to ski now. Well, in that case, said the Hemulin, if you really want me to stay... After his conversation with the Hemulin, Moomintroll was far too upset to go home. Instead, he wandered down to the shore and he strolled along it. He made a large detour around the bathing house. He felt more and more unburdened as he walked, though. In the end, he was nearly exhilarated. He started to whistle and he kicked a lump of ice with great skill along his path. And then it started slowly to snow. It was the first snowfall since before New Year, and Moomintroll was greatly surprised. One flake after the other landed on his warm snout and melted away. He caught several in his paw to admire them for a fleeting moment. He looked towards the sky and he saw them sinking down straight at him, more and more, softer and lighter than birds down. 
Oh, it's like this, thought Moomintroll. I believed it simply formed on the ground somehow. The air was milder, there was nothing in sight except falling snow, and Moomintroll was caught by the same kind of excitement he used to feel at times when he was wading out for a swim. He threw off his bath gown and himself headlong into the snowdrift. So this is winter too, he thought. You can even like it. And at dusk, Salome, the little creeper, woke with an anxious feeling of being late for something. And then she remembered the hemulant. She jumped down from the chest of drawers, first to a chair and then to the floor. The drawing room was empty. Everybody had gone down to the bathing house for supper. Salome, the little creep, climbed up to the window and with a lump in her throat, she crawled out through the tunnel. No moon was up and no northern lights were showing. There was nothing but densely falling snow that stuck to her face and dress and hindered her steps. She groped her way to the Hemulan's igloo and looked inside. It was dark and forlorn. At this Salome, the little creep was seized with a panic and instead of waiting in the igloo, she set out into the whirling snow. She cried for her beloved Hemulan, but it was like trying to cry through eider-down quilts. Her tracks were next to invisible and very soon hid by falling snow. Later in the evening, the snowfall stopped. It was as if a light curtain had been drawn away, and there was a clear view again over the ice. Far out, a dark blue wall of clouds was still hiding the place where the sun had set. Moomintroll watched the new and threatening weather rolling nearer. The sky darkened suddenly again. Moomintroll, who had never seen a blizzard, expected a thunderstorm, and braced himself against the first claps of thunder that he thought would soon ring out. But no thunder came, and no lightning either. Instead, a small whirl of snow rose from the white cap of one of the boulders by the shore. Worried gusts of wind were rushing to and fro over the ice, and whispered in the wood by the shore. The dark blue wall rose higher, and the gusts became stronger. Suddenly it was as if a great door had blown wide open and the darkness yawned and everything was filled with wet, flying snow. This time it didn't come from above, it darted along the ground. It was howling and shoving like a living thing. Moomintroll lost his balance and turned a somersault. In a trice his ears were full of snow and he became frightened. Time and all the world were lost. Everything he could feel and look at had blown away and only a bewitched whirl of damp and dancing darkness was left around him. Any sensible person could have told him that this was the very moment when the long spring was born, but there didn't happen to be any sensible persons on the shore, but only a confused moomin crawling on all fours against the wind in a totally wrong direction. He crawled and he crawled, and the snow bungled up his eyes and formed a little drift on his snout, and Moomintroll became more and more convinced that this was a trick the winter had decided to play on him, with the intention of showing him simply that he couldn't stand it. First it had taken him by its beautiful curtain of slowly falling flakes, and then it threw all the beautiful snow in his face at the very moment he believed that he had started to like the winter. By and by, Moomintroll became very angry. He straightened up, and he tried to shout at the gale. He hit out against the snow and also whimpered a little, and there was nobody to hear him. And then he tired. He turned his back to the blizzard and he stopped fighting it. Not until then did Moomintroll notice that he felt kind of warm, it carried him along into the whirling snow. It made him feel light and almost like flying. I am nothing but air and wind. I'm part of this blizzard, Moomintroll thought, and he let himself go. It's almost like last summer. 
You first fight the waves, then you turn around and you ride the surf, sailing along like a cork amongst the little rainbows of the foam. And then you land laughing and just a little frightened in the sand. Moomintroll spread out his arms and he flew. Frighten me if you can, he thought happily. I'm wise to you now. You're no worse than anything else when one gets to know you. Now you won't be able to pull my leg anymore. And the winter danced him all along the snowy shore until he stumbled across the snowed-in landing stage and he ploughed his snout through the snowdrift. When he looked up, he saw a faint warm light. It was the window of the bathing house. Oh, I'm saved, Moomintroll said to himself, a little crestfallen. It's a pity that exciting things always stop happening to you when you're not afraid of them anymore and would like to have a little fun with them. When he opened the door, a wisp of steaming warm air rushed out into the blizzard, and Moomintroll saw fuzzily that the bathing house was chock full of people. Oh, there's one of them, someone cried. What? Who else? asked Moomintroll, drying his face. Salome, the little creeps lost in the blizzard, said Tutiki gravely. A glass of hot syrup came gliding through the air. Thanks, said Moomintroll to the invisible shrew, and then he continued. But I've never heard about Salome, the little creep, going out of doors. Well, we don't understand it either, said the oldest of the Wampers. And it's no use hunting for her until the blizzard ceases. She might be anywhere, and very probably she's snowed in now. Where's the Hemulin? asked Moomintroll. He's gone out to make a search anyhow, replied Tutiki. She added with a slight grin, He seemed to have had a talk together about the lonely mountains, I hear. Well, what of it? Moomintroll asked vehemently. Tutiki's grin spread out. You've got a great gift for persuasion, she said. The Hemulin told us all that the skiing grounds in the Lonely Mountains were simply wretched and that he was very happy because we all liked him so much. Well, I, I only meant to tell him, Moomintroll began. No, take it easy, said Tutiki. It's even possible that we're beginning to like the Hemulin. The Hemulin, perhaps, had not very delicate perceptions, and perhaps he didn't always feel what people around him thought about things. But his scent was even keener than Soryu's. And besides, Soryu's scent was spoiled for the time being by emotional thinking. The Hemulin had found a couple of old tennis rackets in the attic and made himself a pair of snowshoes, and now he was calmly plodding along through the blizzard, keeping his snout close to the ground and trying to catch a whiff of the faint scent of the smallest creep that he had ever met. On his way, he looked into the igloo and he caught the scent there. Why, the little squeak has been looking for me here, the Hemulin thought good-naturedly. I wonder... And then suddenly the Hemulin had a fuzzy memory of Salome the Little Creep trying to tell him something, sometime, but being too shy to do it properly. While he plodded along through the blizzard, he saw one picture after the other of his inner vision. The Creep waiting for him beneath the hill. The Creep running in his ski tracks. The Creep nosing at the horn. And the Hemulin thought flabbergasted, I say, I have been unkind to her. He didn't feel any prick in his conscience because Hemulins very seldom do but he became a little more interested in finding Salome, the little creep. He now laid himself down on his knees so as not to lose her track. The scent went zigzagging and looping along, exactly as little beasts used to scuttle about when they are muddle-headed from fear. The creep had even been down on the bridge once and gone dangerously near the edge, and then the scent returned, climbed the hill a bit and suddenly disappeared. The Hemulin stood thinking for a while, which was no mean effort for him, and then he started to dig down. He dug for quite a time, and finally he came upon something very small and warm in the snow. No, no, don't be afraid, said the Hemulin. It's only me. 
He tucked the creep between his shirt and his flannel vest, and he rose and started to plod back to the bathing house. On his way back, as a matter of fact, he nearly forgot Salome the little creep, and thought only of a glass of hot syrup and water. The following day was Saturday, and the gale had calmed down. The weather was warm and cloudy, and people sank themselves up to their ears in the snow. The valley looked as strange as a moonscape. The drifts were enormous rounded heaps, or beautifully curved ridges with edges sharp as knives. Every single twig in the wood carried a large snow cap. The trees looked most of all like a big pastry cakes made by a very fanciful confectioner. For once, all the guests swarmed out into the snow and arranged an enormous snowball fight. The jam was nearly finished, and it had given them all very much strength. The Hemulan sat on the woodshed roof, blowing his horn with Salome, the happy little creep at his side. He played the King's Hemulans, and he crowned this favourite piece of his with a special flourish, and then he turned to Moomintroll and he said, "'You'll have to promise not to be angry with me, but I've made up my mind to go to the Lonely Mountains. Come what may. I'll be back again next winter.' to teach you to ski instead. Oh, but I told you, Moomintroll began anxiously. I know, I know, the Hemulin interrupted. You were quite right too, but after the blizzard, the hills must be splendid. And just think how fresher the air must be out there. Moomintroll looked at Tutiki. She nodded. It meant, yes, let him go. The thing's settled now, and everything is for the best. Moomintroll went in and opened the shutters of the porcelain stove. First he softly called to his ancestor, a low signal, somewhat like, Tee-hoo! Tee-hoo! The ancestor did not reply. Why, I've neglected him, Moomintroll thought, but things that happen now really are more interesting than those things that happened a thousand years ago. And he lifted out the big jar of strawberry jam, and then he took a piece of charcoal and he wrote on the paper lid, To my old friend the Hemulan. That evening, Soryu had to struggle for a whole hour in the snow until he finally reached his wailing pit. Each time he had sat there with his longing, the wailing pit had grown slightly larger, but now it was set deep in a snowdrift. The lonely mountains were wholly snow-clad now and shone before him in splendid whiteness. The night was moonless, but the stars were twinkling unusually brightly. From far away came the rumbling of an avalanche. Sorry, U sat down to wait for the wolves. Tonight he had to wait long. He imagined them running over snowy fields, grey and big and strong. And then they would suddenly stop when they heard his calling howl from the edge of the wood. Perhaps they'd think, Ooh, listen, there's a pal, a cousin we could have for a companion. And this thought made Sorry, U feel excited, and his imagination carried him even further. He embroidered his daydream while he waited. He let the whole pack appear over the nearest hill, and they came running towards him, and they wagged their tails, and then Soryu remembered that genuine wolves never wag their tails. But that was no matter. They came running, and they knew him from before. They had already decided to take him along with them. And now Soryu was quite overwhelmed with his vivid daydream. He turned his muzzle to the stars, and he gave a howl. And then the wolves answered him. They were so near that Soryu felt frightened. He tried clumsily to burrow down into the snow. Eyes were glinting up all around him. The wolves were silent again. They had formed a ring around him, and it was slowly closing in. Soryu wagged his tail and he whimpered, 
but nobody answered him. He took off his woolen cap and he threw it in the air to show that he would like to play and that he was quite harmless. But the wolves didn't look at the cap and suddenly Soryu knew that he had made a mistake. They weren't his brethren at all. One couldn't have any fun with wolves. One could only be eaten up and possibly have the time to regret that one had behaved like an ass. He stopped his tail that was still wagging from pure habit and he thought, Oh, what a pity. I could have slept all these nights instead of sitting here and longing myself silly. And the wolves came ever nearer. At that very moment, a clear bugle call resounded through the wood. It was a blaring brass blast that shook lots of snow from the trees and made the yellow eyes blink. Within a second, the danger was past and Soryu was alone again beside his woolen cap. On his large snowshoes, the Hemulan came shuffling up the hill. "'Sitting here, are you, little doggy?' said the Hemulan. "'Have you waited for long for me?' "'No,' said Soryu, truthfully. "'Why, there'll be a fine crust on the snow tonight,' said the Hemulan happily. "'And when we're up on the lonely mountains, we'll share a nice warm milk. I have some in my thermos.' The Hemulan shuffled on without looking over his shoulder, but Soryu padded on after him. It seemed much the best thing for him to do. <clears throat> Chapter 6 The First of Spring The first spring blizzard had brought change and unrest to the valley. The guests became more homesick than ever. One after the other they started back, usually in the night when the snow crust made walking easy. A few of them had made themselves a pair of skis and everyone carried at least one little jam jar with him. The last ones to go shared the cranberry jam. As the last of the guests walked off over the bridge, the jam cellar was now completely empty. Ah, now it's only we again, said Tutiki. You and me and little Mai, all the mysterious ones have hidden away until next winter. I never saw him with the silver horns a second time, said Moomintroll, nor those spindle-shanked little ones that came skidding over the ice, nor the black one who flew over the bonfire and had such large eyes. They are all winter people, said Tutiki. Can't you feel that spring is coming? And Moomintroll shook his head. It's too early still. I don't recognise it, he said. But Tutiki turned her red cap inside out. And the inside turned out to be a pale blue. I always do this when I feel spring in my nose, she said. And then she seated herself on the lid of the well and she sang, I am Tutiki and my cap's turned inside out. I am Tutiki, catching warm winds in my nose. Great blizzards are drawing near, great avalanches roar, great earth moves and revolves, and everything is changed these days, including people's winter woolens. And one evening, when Moomintroll was on his way home from the bathing house, he stopped on the path and he pricked up his ears. It was a cloudy, warm night, full of movement, the trees had long since shaken off their snow, and he could hear them tossing their branches in the dark. Far away from the south came a strong gust of wind. He could hear it sawing along through the wood and passing him on its way across the valley. A little shower of water drops fell from the trees into the darkening snow, and Moomintroll lifted his snout to sniff. That could have been a faint whiff of bare earth indeed. He continued on his way, and he knew that Tutiki had been right. Spring really was on its way. For the first time in many weeks, Moomintroll went and he looked carefully at his sleeping papa and mama. He also held the lamp over the snork maiden and regarded her musingly. 
Her fringe fluff had a nice gleam in the lamplight. She was very sweet. As soon as she awoke, she would rush to the cupboard and look for her green spring hat. Mermintrol set the lamp on the mantelpiece, and he looked around him at the drawing room. It was a horrid sight indeed. Most of the things had been given away. They had been borrowed or simply taken by some thoughtless guest. The remaining things were in an indescribable jumble. Unwashed dishes were piled high on the kitchen sink. The central heating fire in the cellar would soon go out, and there was no more peat. The jam cellar was empty, and a window pane was broken. Moomintrol pondered. He could hear the wet snow starting to slide down along the roof above him. It landed with a big thump, and suddenly he could see a piece of the clouded night sky through the upper part of the south window. Moomintrol went to the main door, and he felt it. Didn't it give ever so little? He dug his hind paws in the carpet and he applied all of his muscle. Slowly, very slowly, the door opened, pushing a large mass of snow outwards before it. Moomintrol didn't give up until the door stood wide open against the night. Now the strong wind blew straight into the drawing room. It shook the dust off the gauze around the chandelier and it fanned the ashes in the porcelain stove. It flapped the transfers that were pasted on the walls. One of them came off and was carried away. The room was filled with the smell of night and furs, and Moomintrol thought, good. A family has to be ventilated at times, and he went out onto the steps, and he stared out into the damp darkness. And now I've got everything, Moomintrol said to himself. I've got the whole year, winter too. I am the first Moomin to have lived through an entire year. Really? This winter's tale ought to stop exactly at this point. All of this is about the first spring night, and the wind rushing about in the drawing room makes a magnificent ending, and then everybody would think what they pleased about what happened afterwards, but that wouldn't be right, would it? Because one still couldn't be absolutely sure of what Moomin Mama had to say when she awoke, and nor would one know whether the ancestor was allowed to settle down for good in the porcelain stove. nor whether Snufkin was back again before the story ended, and nor how the Mimble had managed without her cardboard box, nor where Tutiki would move when the bathing house became a bathing house again, and nor a lot of other things. So I suppose it's better to go on, especially as the breakup of the ice is an important event, and much too dramatic to be left out. Now followed the mysterious month of bright sunny days, of melting icicles and winds, and rushing skies, and of sharply freezing nights, with a snow crust and a dazzling moon. Moomintrol explored every nook of his valley, dizzy from expectation and pride. And now came spring, but not at all as he had imagined it coming. He had thought that it would deliver him from a strange and hostile world, but now it was simply a continuation of his new experiences, of something he had already conquered and made his own. He hoped for a long spring, so that he could have his happy, expectant feeling for as long as possible. Every morning he almost dreaded for the second best that could happen, that someone of the family would awaken. He moved cautiously and tried not to bump into things in the drawing room, and early in the mornings he went scuttling out into the valley to sniff the new smells and to look at the changes since the day before. By the south wall of the woodshed, an ever-widening spot of earth was becoming bare. The birches were showing a faint shade of red, but it could be seen only at a distance. The sun had burned right through the snowdrifts and made them honeycombed and brittle, and the ice was darkening, as if the sea was beginning to show through. Little Mai still went skating about, far out, 
She had changed her tin lids for kitchen knives and managed to fasten them edgeways under her boots. Now and then Moomintroll came across a figure eight she had made in the ice, but very seldom did he see her. She had always had the gift of having fun on her own, and whatever she might have been thinking about spring, she felt no need to talk about it with him. Tutiki was having a spring cleaning in the bathing house. She rubbed all the green and red panes bright for the first summer fly. She hung out the bathing gowns in the sun and tried to repair the rubber hemulin. And now the bathing house will be a bathing house again, she said. And when the summer's hot and green, you lie on your tummy on the warm boards of the landing stage and listen to the waves chuckling and clucking. Why didn't you talk like that in winter, said Moomintroll. It would have been such a comfort. Remember I said once, oh, there are a lot of apples here, and you just replied, but now there's a lot of snow. Didn't you understand that I was so melancholy? Tutiki shrugged her shoulders. One has to discover everything for oneself, she replied, and get over it all on their own. The sun was more and more burning every day. It bored the ice full of small holes and channels, and one could see that the sea was becoming restless below. Beyond the horizon, great gales were wandering to and fro. Moomintroll lay awake late at nights, listening to the creaking and the cracking in the walls of the sleeping house. The ancestor was very quiet. He had closed the shutters behind him, and perhaps retired again. A thousand years back, the damper cord had disappeared into the cranny between the stove and the wall, tassels, embroidery and all. Oh, he liked it, Moomintroll thought. He had moved from the basket of wool and was sleeping in his own bed again. In the mornings, the sun shone further and further into the drawing room, looking embarrassedly at cobwebs and dust pellets. The bigger dust wads, those that had grown round and full of personality, Moomintroll used to carry out on the veranda, but the small ones he allowed to roll about as they liked. The earth under the south window was becoming quite warm in the afternoon. It looked slightly bulging from brown, bursting bulbs, and from the many small root threads that were eagerly sucking at the melting snow. And then one windy day, a little before dusk, a strong and majestic report was heard far out to sea. Well, said Tutiki, and put her teacup down, the spring cannonade is starting. The ice heaved and more reports thundered. Moomintroll ran out from the bathing house to listen to the warm wind. Look, the sea's coming in, said Tutiki behind him. Far out a white border of waves was hissing, angry and hungry waves biting off piece after piece of winter ice. A black crack came shooting in along the ice. It moved to and fro and then it tired and disappeared. The sea heaved again and new cracks formed. They broadened. Oh, I know someone who'd better hurry up and come home, said Tutiki. Little Mai, of course, had noticed that something was about to happen, but she simply couldn't leave off. She had to take a look out where the sea had broken. So she'd skated up to the outermost edge and cut a proud figure of eight in the face of the sea, and then she turned about and went back at top speed over the cracking ice. At first the cracks were quite thin. Danger! They were rising all over the ice as far as she could see. The ice sagged, it heaved and sank again, and every now and then thundered the cannon salute of festivity and destruction and sent delightful cold thrills up her back. I hope the silly asses won't be hopping out there to save me, she thought. That'd spoil everything, and she went full speed ahead, nearly doubled up on her kitchen knives. The shore didn't seem to come any nearer, though. 
And now some of the cracks were widening and becoming streams. An angry little wave lashed out. And then suddenly the sea was filled with rocking ice islands that knocked about each other in confusion. On one of them stood little Mai, looking at the stretches of water all around her. And she thought without any special alarm, Well, this is a pretty go. Moomintrol was already on his way out to her. Tutiki stood looking on for a while, and then she went inside the bathing house and put a kettle of water on the stove. Quite, quite, she thought, with a little sigh. It's always like this in their adventures, to save and be saved. I wish somebody would write a story sometime about the people who warm up the heroes afterwards. As Moomintrol ran, he watched a small crack running alongside him. It was keeping abreast of him. The ice heaved in a swell, and suddenly it broke in pieces and started rocking violently under his feet. Little Maya was standing quite still on her ice floe, watching the jumping Moomintrol. He looked exactly like a bouncing rubber ball, and his eyes were round from excitement and strain, and when he landed at her side, Little Maya held up her arms and said, Put me on your head, will you, so I can get off if I must. And then she grabbed a shore hold of his ears, and she cried, A company! Towards the shore! Turn! Moomintrol threw a quick glance at the bathing house. The chimney was smoking, but not a soul was to be seen on the landing stage. Wringing his hands from Mori, he hesitated, and his legs suddenly felt heavy from disappointment. Well, off we go, shouted Little Mai, and Moomintrol set out. He jumped and he jumped, with set teeth and on shaky legs. Every time he landed on a new flow, a cold shower washed his tummy. The whole stretch of ice was broken now, and the waves were waltzing all the way to the shore. Keep in step, shouted Little Mai. Here's one again. You'll feel it under you. Jump! And Moomintrol jumped at the exact moment when the wave gently pushed an ice floe under his paws. One, two, three, one, two, three. Little Mai was counting in waltz time. One, two, three, wait. One, two, three, jump. And Moomintrol's legs were shaky and his stomach as cold as ice. A red sunset was breaking through the cloudy sky and the gleam of the waves hurt his eyes. He felt hot all down his back, but his stomach was cold and the whole cruel world was swirling dizzily before his eyes. Tutiki had kept an earnest lookout in the window of the bathing house, and she saw now that things were going badly. Oh, stupid of me, she thought. Of course he can't know that I've been looking on all this time. And she rushed out onto the landing stage and cried, Well, well done, Moomin! But it was already too late. The last lonely jump had been too much for Moomintrol. And he suddenly found himself floating in the sea, with water up to his ears, while a spirited little ice floe kept knocking him in the back of his neck, and little Maya let go of his ears and was taking a last long jump ashore. It is strange how deftly people like the Mai's get on in life. Catch hold, said Tutigi, reaching out a steady paw, and she lay on her stomach on Moomin Mama's washboard, and she looked straight in Moomintrol's troubled eyes. There, there, she said, and slowly Moomintrol was dragged up over the ice edge, and slowly he crawled inwards over the boulders by the water. He said, you didn't even care to look on. I watched you through the window all the time, Tutiki replied, worriedly, and now you'd better come inside and warm yourself. No, I'm going home, said Moomintrol. He rose to his feet and he staggered off. Warm syrup, Tutiki shouted after him. Don't forget to drink something warm. The path was wet from melted snow, and Moomintrol could feel roots and pine needles under his paws, but he was shaking from cold and his legs felt slithery, much like rubber. He hardly turned his head as a small squirrel jumped across his path. Happy spring, said the squirrel, absent-mindedly. Well, thanks, replied Moomintrol, and continued on his way. But all at once he stopped short, and he stared at the squirrel. 
It had a big and bushy tail that shone red in the sunset. Do people call you the squirrel with the marvellous tail? Moomatrol asked slowly. Of course, said the squirrel. Is it you? cried Moomatrol. Is it really you who met the Lady of the Cold? I don't remember, said the squirrel. You know, I, I'm not very bright at remembering things. No, but try to, begged Moomatrol. Don't you even remember the nice mattress that was stuffed with wool? The squirrel scratched his left ear. I remember a lot of mattresses, he replied, with wool and other stuffings. Wool ones are nicest. And then the squirrel skipped off between the trees. I'll have to look into this later, thought Moomatrol. For the moment I'm too cold, and I have to go home. And he sneezed, because he had got a bad cold for the first time in his life. The central heating fire had gone out, and the drawing room was very chilly. And with shaking paws, Moomatrol heaped several carpets over his stomach, but they didn't make him feel any warmer. He had a pain in his legs, and he felt a prickling in his throat. All of a sudden life was very sad, and his snout felt strange and enormous. He tried to curl his ice-cold tail, and he sneezed again. And at this, Mama awoke. She hadn't heard the thunder of the breaking ice, and never once the howls of the blizzards. Her house had been filled with restless guests, but neither they nor the alarm clock had been able to wake her. And now she opened her eyes and looked up at the ceiling wide awake, and then she sat up in bed and said, "'You've caught a cold, Moomintroll.' "'Mama,' Moomintroll said, between chattering teeth, "'if I were only sure it was the same squirrel.' And not another squirrel. Moom and Mama hurried out into the kitchen to warm some syrup. Oh, nobody's washed the dishes, Moomatrol cried wretchedly. Oh, of course not, said Moom and Mama. Everything's going to be all right, though. She found a few sticks of wood behind the slop pail, and she took a bottle of currant syrup from her secret cupboard, as well as a powder and a flannel scarf. When the water was boiled, she mixed a strong influenza medicine of sugar and ginger, and an old lemon that used to lie behind the tea cosy on the topmost shelf but one. There was no tea cosy, nor any teapot, but Moom and Mama never noticed that. For safety's sake, she mumbled a short charm over the influenza medicine. That was something her grandmother had taught her. And then she went back to the drawing room and said, Please, drink it as hot as you can. Moom and Troll drank and felt a mild warmth flowing through his tummy. Mama, he said... There's such a lot to explain to you. First take a nap, Moomin Mama said, and wound the flannel around his throat. Well, just one thing, Moomin Troll mumbled sleepily. Promise not to have a fire in the porcelain stove, because our ancestors living there now. Oh, of course not, said Moomin Mama. And all at once, Moomin Troll felt warm and calm and free of responsibility. He sighed a little and burrowed his snout in the pillow, and then he fell asleep. Away from it all. Moom and Mama sat on the veranda, burning a strip of film with a magnifying glass. The film smoked and glowed, and a nice pungent smell was tickling her snout. The sun was so warm that the wet veranda steps were steaming, but the shadow beside them was ice cold. One really ought to get up a little earlier in the spring, remarked Moom and Mama. You're very right, said Tutiki. Is he still asleep? And Moomin Mama nodded. You ought to have seen him jump the ice flows, Little Maya said proudly. And he had sat half the winter just whining and pasting transfers on the walls. Oh, I know, I've seen them, said Moomin Mama. He must have felt very lonely. And then he went and found some kind of an old ancestor of yours, Little Maya continued. Let him tell the story himself when he awakes, said Moomin Mama. I can see that lots of things have happened while I slept. And the film was finished. 
and she managed to burn a round black hole in the veranda flooring as well. Oh, I must get up before the others next spring, Moomin Mama said. How nice to be on your own for a bit and do what you like. <laughs> when Moomin Troll finally awoke, his throat wasn't sore any longer. He noticed that Moomin Mama had taken the gauze off the chandelier and put up the window curtains. The furniture was moved back to its usual places and the broken pane had been repaired with a piece of cardboard. Not a dust wad was in sight. Only the ancestor's rubbish in front of his porcelain stove was untouched. Moomin Mama had put up a tidy placard on it. Do not disturb. From the kitchen came the cosy sounds of dishes being washed. Shall I tell her about the dweller under the sink, Moomin Troll thought. Perhaps I'd better not. He lay for a while, wondering whether he'd be ill a little longer and have Moomin Mama nurse him a little more. But then he decided that it would be nicer still to take care of Moomin Mama himself. He went out to the kitchen and said, Let me show you the snow. Moomin Mama at once stopped washing dishes, and they walked out into the sunlight together. There's not so much left of it now, Moomin Troll explained, but you should have seen it in the winter. The snowdrifts reached up to the roof, and you could hardly take a step without sinking up to your snout. Do you know when the snow comes, it falls down from the sky like tiny and very cold stars, and up there in the black sky you can see fluttering blue and green curtains. Oh, that sounds nice, replied Moomin Mama. Yes, even if you can't walk on the snow, you can slide along it, continued Moomin Troll. It's called skiing. It makes you rush ahead fast like lightning in a cloud of whirling snow, and you've got to look sharp or else... Oh, you don't say, said Moomin Mama. Is that where you use trays? Oh no, they are better on the ice, her son mumbled, a little taken aback. Really, really, said Moomin Mama, squinting at the sun. Life is very charming, I must say. Here one has believed all one's life that there's just one use for a silver tray, and then it appears to be still better for quite another purpose. And every year people are telling me that I give myself far too much trouble making such lots of jam, and then all of a sudden, it's all gone. Moomin Troll blushed. Has Little Mite told you about... He asked. Yes, said Moomin Mama. Thank goodness that you took care of the people so I wasn't put to shame. And you know, I really believe that the house will be a lot airier without such a lot of carpets and odds and ends. Besides, it makes cleaning very much simpler. Moomin Mama scooped up a handful of snow and she made a snowball. And she threw it clumsily as mothers do and it plodded on the ground not very far away. Oh, I'm no good at that, said Moomin Mama, with a laugh. Even sorry Oo would have made a better throw. Mother, I love you terribly, said Moomin Troll, and they went strolling slowly down to the bridge, but no mail had come yet. The evening sun threw long shadows through the valley, and all was calm, with a wonderful peace, and Moomin Mama seated herself on the bridge parapet and said, And now I'd like to hear something about our ancestor. The following morning... The whole family awoke at the same time. They were awakened in exactly the right way by a merrily tinkling barrel organ. Two Tiki was turning the crank, standing under the dripping roof edge in her sky-blue cap that was turned inside out. The sky itself was no lighter blue. The silver mountings on her barrel organ glinted in the sun, and at her side sat little Mai, half proud and half embarrassed because she had tried with her own paws to repair the tea cosy, and she had scoured the silver tray with sand. Neither article had fared quite well from it, 
but very probably intentions are more important than results. At some distance, the sleepy Mimble was seen to approach, dragging after her the drawing room carpet on which she had slept through the winter. This day the spring had decided not to be poetic, but simply cheerful. It had spread flocks of small scatterbrained clouds in the sky. It swept down the last specks of snow from every roof, and it made new little brooks run everywhere, and was playing April the best it could. I'm awake, cried the snork maiden expectantly. Moomintroll kindly brushed his snout against hers and said, Well, happy spring. At the same time, he wondered whether he would ever be able to tell her about the winter so that she'd understand it. He saw her turn straight to the cupboard and take out her green spring bonnet. He saw his daddy eagerly collect wind gauge and spade and step out to the veranda. All the time, Two Tiki's barrel organ was playing, and the sunlight streamed down into the valley, as if the elements were sorry for having shown their own subjects such unfriendliness in the past. Snuffkin'll be here today, thought Moomintroll. It's exactly the right kind of day for him to arrive. He stood on the veranda, and he looked at the family. They were hopping around in the garden plot, dizzy with merriment, as at every spring. He caught Two Tiki's eye, and she cranked the waltz to an end. She laughed and said... Now the bathing house is vacant again. I'm of the opinion that the only one who can live in the bathing house after this is too ticky herself, said Moomin Mama. To have a bathing house is a bit coddling, really. One can just as well step into one's trunks on the shore. Thanks, said too ticky. Well, I'll think about it. And she went on her way down the valley to awaken all the other sleeping creeps and beasts with her barrel organ. But the snork maiden had come across the first brave nose tip of a caucus. It was pushing through the warm spot under the south window, but it wasn't even green yet. Let's put grass over it, said the snork maiden. It'll be better off in the night if there's a frost. No, don't do that, said Moomintroll. Let it fight it out. I believe it's going to do still better if things aren't so easy on it. And suddenly he felt so happy that he had to be alone, and he strolled off towards the woodshed. And when nobody could see him any longer, he broke into a run, and he ran through the melting snow, with the sun warming his back. He ran simply because he was happy, with nothing at all to think about. He ran on down to the shore and out onto the landing stage, and straight through the empty aired bathing house. And then he seated himself on the bathing house steps, with the spring sea at his feet. He could only just hear the barrel organ playing in the farthest corner of the valley, if he listened very closely. Moomintroll looked down into the water, and he tried to remember the time when the ice had stretched away and melted into the darkness of the horizon. And that's the end and the beginning, apparently. That's it. There's no more. Oh, we didn't get to see Snufkin in this book. This is the only... I guess the only book with no Snufkin in it. Although it gets mentioned a bit. Wow, that's it. That's over. <laughs> Alright. Wow, okay. Listeners. Thank you for being so indulgent with me. I hope you've liked this book. Um, Let me know if you could stomach another Moomin book. It'll be probably the same deal... Uh, single chapters doled out uh, as bonus content at the end of other Let's Plays. Maybe the Pokemon Gold Let's Play will have Moomin chapters at the end of it too. Just let me know. I'll pick which uh, which book to read. 
probably Moom and Papa at Sea because I haven't read that one either. Um, so it'll be a good new experience for me as well. Yeah. Uh, Tove Jansen Estate. I'm sorry for doing this. Please don't litigate or anything like that. Please. I mean... Yeah. My heart is in the right place, I promise. Uh, everybody else, I'll see you around next time. Bye-bye, everyone. See ya. Um, bye-bye. The diver is my love. And I... That was something her grandmother had taught her. And then she went back to the drawing room and said, Please, drink it as hot as you can.